0: He wants us to play attractive football, he wants us, you know, to get the crowd in our feet. Support's have been
1: magnificent and they're singing my name, but I'm happier just thinking about the players. Will it be another Stephen Kenny loving this international window? We've got the best coverage and analysis right here on OTB Sports Radio.
2: OTB
3: AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's half past seven, you're welcome along, it's Tuesday morning, it's Jerry Gilroy and Johnny Ward with you all the way through until ten, if you've got anything you want to get off your chest, any sporting factoids you'd like to deliver, you can uh, smack us around the chops if you want, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, uh, you can also text the show 0879 180, 180. Johnny how are you? Good morning Jerry. What's going on? What's going on? Um,
4: another good game in Dublin, so look forward to tonight, um, yeah, uh, interested to see what team he picks I think. Could Will it be, be. the night the troy part reveals himself as Ireland's future star?
3: I don't know. I mean we have a, a current star already. You know. Maybe they can play together, I don't know. Maybe mm. maybe the two of them and Callum Robinson is going to be something for the next three years. I don't know. It's it's finally a bit where you're like he's playing a bit of football at a level that's right for him at this stage of his career. He's starting to score goals in recent weeks. There's a bit of maturity coming there. Connolly's yeah, trending in the right direction yeah. at Borough. Hasn't quite exploded just yet but maybe you move to somebody like Burr in a full season the championship where you play every single minute and you get kicked around the place and you emerge from that unscathed is the right thing for him who knows but like we all know it's, it's Ferguson's job eventually right um, I mean he's 16 now get him in the team Yeah,
4: yeah, he's, uh, it's just, you're burdening him with so much expectation and that, um, and you see with, uh, I guess, the likes of Kevin Zeffy as well, some of these underage starlets, I think the thing about Ferguson is he's physically so big for his age, it's just like the the young kind of, the minor Gaelic footballer, you're under 16, you're like, God, what's he going to be like when he's a senior? Ferguson haven't really seen him play that much apart from kind of snippets. Um, well, and there's
3: all those underage videos where... Underage like,
4: videos. Yeah. Played yeah. for balls against... Chelsea, yeah. Um, played a bit for the under-21s, obviously. The under-21s have a big game against Sweden today as well, which I think will be intriguing. Um, I find the the whole Irish kind of um, revolution, even before Stephen Kenny with the underage teams, um, when Stephen Kenny was the under-21 manager, and the underage teams in general, there's a lot more interest, I think, in them. And... Generally, there's a lot to be excited about. Um,
3: Maybe the previous director of footballs were doing something right. Who knows?
4: I don't think Ru. Da- I think Rude doctor did a lot of good in the FAI. Like I think um, very
3: unpopular for you to say that, Johnny. Yeah. Well, slashing those sacred cows of schoolboy football forcing them to play in the summertime when the weather's good. Who the hell do you think you are, Johnny? Well, yeah. That, that what about their traditional right to play that's bad to football the, in
4: mucky pitches? That's shown to be... Even the even the mucky pitches... Um I was talking to one parent there recently and she was going on about all the games that her son had missed because they'd been called off but beyond the mucky pitches like the, the you know the the decision with the under-14s league is still baffling to me completely baffling that it hasn't started yet um, to say the
3: schoolboy lobby I think um, and well, The schoolboy lobby elect important people and they've got big votes when it comes to who yeah. gets to decide who's on what committees and who gets what blazer and who gets to go to what trips mm. that's unfortunately still the reality of how football is organised for a certain cohort—it's changing. I think it it's is changing, slowly, yeah. very slowly. The League of Ireland clubs, like, still
4: probably—you um, know—the the, the whole underage thing was kind of foisted upon them um, as they well. They seem to be getting to grips with this. They are getting to grips with yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing. Like, going it's not going to happen overnight. But no, I think in fairness, I think they've done well. Like, I've I think the standard has been um, surprisingly good as well, and. Over time, if we could get government investment, I think there's, you know, I'm going to bang the drum on this a good bit going forward. I think government investment in, in, in underage football in general in Ireland and facilities is a win-win. Um, and if the government doesn't see kind of a you know, benefit from investing in coaches and just not players' wages now but investing in putting in structures in clubs around the country keeping kids in school and keeping them in Ireland when they you know can't go to the UK until they're 18 anymore um, we could have a football industry in this country within maybe 10 years something like that really which easily. would be great you could yeah. really easily do it like the likes of you are from Kildare like Club Kildare underage have made massive progress and they're aspiring to get into the League of Ireland I think they're a great example um, of what might happen I know Kildare wants a League of Ireland team but they've already the the League of Ireland underage has given that kind of foundation for the likes of Kildare to start and hopefully bring in a senior team, but they're making like Cl- Club Kildare, I think, beat Galway United's under I wanna say fifteens, three nil, I think, at the weekend, had
3: a great result against them, making great progress. All right. Um do you wanna talk briefly about what's going on in Galway? There's a potential takeover? Yeah, so the, there's a vote tomorrow night. That, um, how lucky you that the Saudi takeover didn't happen, right? It's madger Like I
4: and I voted for it. Um do you regret that now? I do, yeah. Like we were, you know, we were presented with something at the meeting, um, you know, in Galway and we were presented by people who had been in Saudi Arabia and we we um, obviously had to go with what they saw and they felt and I think it would make a good article, how did it collapse, why did it collapse, because it seemed to
3: be over the line. Um, I feel a currency article coming on. Yeah, yeah. Um it'd be great to get a trip to Riyadh and good live pitch for a, a, yeah, a piece this morning.
4: It would be Well, the currency um the currency guys are fascinated by the comers, I think like anyone else how did these people from Glenamaddy who were basically plasterers become billionaires and um incredible work ethic and all that and what they've put into Galway United for pff, minimal enough return I would have thought um is is startling and um you know, I think and You bring
3: them up because they're they're the next potential takeover.
4: Yeah, so the Comers there's a vote tomorrow night in Galway um as to whether the co op effectively gives eighty five percent ownership of the club to the comers slash an option to do that. Um I think the Comers were probably, when the Saudi takeover uh, was happening, considering the m- money the Comers have put in, the Comers were probably thinking, well, why can't that be us? Um, and I mentioned underage. We have an underage player, Alex Murphy, who's been linked with a fairly lucrative move to England. And maybe it's kind of pricked the ears of some people within the club that, God, we don't have any assets, but they do have an asset. They do have assets in the players. That's basically the only asset. And those assets actually might become quite valuable. Some of our underage players are very, very good. Um, so th- so that's possibly what's happening but I don't you know as a fan you have to decide well I I, I love being a fan owned club as well as much as we're not um, particularly you know we could be a bit dysfunctional in, in some respects and lack volunteers but you know you, you don't want to give things up
3: necessarily very easily either alright let's move on because we want to talk a little bit more about the atmosphere at the Aviva for the rugby matches in particular that's ultimately uh, why we're here isn't it Jerry, Thorny, is it the rugby? Jerry Thorny's piece today um, It kind of it's a theme that's had come up on the news round where they were talking about the absence of any good songs. There's the Fields and that's it really that the rugby crowd sings. And, you know, no one actually thinks that the Fields is a, a great experience. At the end of a game when you've been beaten 4-0, the Fields is the perfect thing to lean back on as a as a funeral... As a, yeah. as a wake right there's You're nothing else boozed um, up and hoping to go back to the pub Thorny's piece today last Saturday week at the Ireland-Scotland Six Nations match an 80 year old rugby supporter was taken to his first game at the Aviva Stadium in several years It had and barely that. kicked off when he was first obliged to stand up for someone to walk past him or return to their seat usually with a tray of pints this constant flow of people became so tediously repetitive he began to keep count by the time the game had finished he reckoned he'd stood up 73 times he won't be going back the event. Um, that, that figure is, is very hard to believe but maybe it's true Time um. to ban booze during games at the Aviva is the headline of the piece Now they won't ban booze during the games at the Aviva because the volume of pints sold is one of the reasons why um, big deals are done mm. between the stadium and the providers of the booze mm-hmm. uh, and so I think it's unlikely but what is, is it the booze that's the issue?
4: No, I see where he's coming from um, and, you know, I've, I was at three rugby games this year and uh, there, there's probably, there's a there's a mix of games, rugby games, in terms of probably very, you know, hardcore rugby fans, day trippers, um, partners of people going to the games, that sort of thing, like, you know, may not have that much interest either, but a lot of people just basically going to the bar um, and... Do you know, the constant kind of getting up and letting people go by and people with big trays doesn't really lead to an atmosphere, even though you'd imagine inebriation does help in terms of creating an atmosphere. I think partly the reason with Ireland is Ireland have become quite good and there were a lot of dead rubber games as well. I wasn't at the Scotland game, um, but it, it is alar- it is striking if you if you go to a football game compared to a rugby game now, and football traditionally didn't have the access to booze. Um the, the rugby, I, I don't know how much of it is drink related but the rugby atmosphere is just crap I don't know is it like
3: it's 140 quid for some tickets yeah it's too much
4: and then you pay this horrendous horrendous charge towards Ticketmaster as well if you, got, if, you if you want to buy six tickets that are say 125 euro for Ticketmaster you have to pay a fee multiplied by six and it's a substantial fee and then you go in and it's like
3: I, I wasn't blown I, I wouldn't be in any rush back to a rugby game at all after that there's a significant difference between the November internationals mm, and yeah. The it feels like there are more corporate day trippers who are there to do crack business than support the team mm. for the Six Nations because those tickets seem to have been sold that way, and it seems like there are more fans who have bought tickets the way you yeah. traditionally buy a ticket as opposed to um, being gifted a ticket for the Six Nations games, and so therefore that's why I think there's a there's a difference between uh, the booze. I don't know, D- I, like. If the pints were delivered the way they are in other stadiums around the world. The other thing that was very shocking in this is it's a bit at the end. Um, a key difference is that the bars open well in advance uh, at Croke Park and they close beforehand and open at halftime and full time. So you can't in the middle of the game go back and forth. And then um, they also have thousands of pints pre-poured approaching halftime, something which one Croke Park caterer tried to implement at the Aviva to her astonished boss. I've only tried to buy pints at the Viva after a rugby match once, and it was about a twenty-five minute experience. And they would do one at a time, and you're like, "What is this, England? What am I in England? Am yeah. I in, did I did I accidentally get a teleportal to a pub in London where they can't pull pints? Mm. Like, let the two of them at the same time, please.
4: Yeah, at the same time.
3: That is a bit mad. Anyway, uh, anecdotal evidence is uh, bad when you're trying to make up rules,
4: but the pint pouring is not great. A lot of it is, as well, in my view. That um, a lot of the people who go to rugby games are pretty well off in life and if you compare it to Ireland in the 80s when and I go back to that documentary Where Is Your Pride that showed Ireland winning the Triple Crown in the early 80s the country was basically in in the shit um, and it meant an awful lot more to people because it really really meant something because yeah. people were poor and a sporting event like that beating England like really really lifted them whereas Ireland beating Scotland now what does it mean to the people, really? Ah no, I don't... I no, there is. It it doesn't mean as much. It just doesn't I know as you get older when it you're wasn't a kid, It wasn't
3: great when we were all poor. No,
4: and No, no I'm not saying that, but sport matters more when you're poor. One hundred percent. When you're when you go to a game and you've spent one hundred and twenty five quid on your tickets, one hundred and twenty five quid on your partner's tickets, you're very you know, you're don't really care about the money, um, you know. All Ireland final tickets are expensive. People care about the result. They do, but it's not. You can't compare an All Ireland final and uh, an Ireland rugby game. It's not the Six Nations after. It just doesn't matter as much to people anymore. It well, doesn't. I think I think because we couldn't win the tournaments, that was the yeah, thing. and we've and we've become quite good as well. well we, so we're, we're expecting not, to Like the, for example, it was the Wales thing, but
3: not much on the line. By that, by yeah. the after we lost to France, I think if we, if if we had been within if that if the final game had been for a Grand Slam, the atmosphere would have been great. Yeah, it would have been great, it's but it, it doesn't really
4: excuse. Now, in fairness, like the way, the Wales game, they scored a try straight away. It was yeah. it was over straight away. Um, but it doesn't really excuse. The Scotland game was on an knife edge for much of it, somewhat. Ah, you know, to a degree, it was oh, it was, it was, it was a different.
3: bit of a contest. Um, it wasn't really. We th- were, we th- so so there is, the them three them games them I was them at them. Were, were complete non-events okay. as well. Our coffees right side if you want to run and get them. I'm going to be the coming up while it's while it's happening. Stephen Hunt is, is going to join it's us for one second. We're going to talk rugby with Evie and Riley. Sports pages at half past eight. We've got. Um Yeah, that's it, right in front of the camera. After that, we've got (laughs) (laughs) live, live uh, sounds of the studio this morning. Emma Byrne at 8.50 is going to talk about the uh, various things going on with uh, women's football at the moment. Willa Callan at 10 past nine, uh, talking hurling, and then Damien Delaney at half past nine. But at 7.43, go on, limbo, limbo in underneath it. No, just walk straight across. Okay, good man, Johnny. You need a coffee. I'm delighted to say Stephen Hunt is with us this morning, who I hope has also had his morning coffee. Stephen, good morning to you.
5: Morning, guys. How are you doing?
3: Are you a coffee drinker?
5: Oh, I am. Three before midday and then if I'm on the road, maybe one about five o'clock and that's me done for the day then.
3: I bet you have got a fancy machine at home, do you? Yeah.
5: Of course I do. You yeah. have to
4: have a fancy machine at home. The difference in... in, in good in coffee. The Ireland of the 80s when we were winning Triple Crowns and all that and uh, the coffee of now, like Ireland is, is probably as good a place to get coffee, as it is anywhere in the world, isn't it? Oh, I don't well,
3: no, the world more than we have, I think. It, is it Hunty?
5: Ireland, Italy is obviously very good. Macedonia was good, I think, if I'm, no. right I'm saying. Montenegro was good. There you go. Right, excellent. The, the, view is, the views were good in Montenegro as well, may I add?
4: Right. Wow. We can only go on. uh, only allude to what <laughs> you're talking no, about Ireland there. Ireland
5: International, sorry. We were with, with Ireland. We always used to go for a coffee. If we could have a stroll in a quiet place and take in the views.
3: Right, old historic Montenegro must um, must check it out must stick it on the list of places to go and yeah. Stephen, there's a good bit of crack in the papers this morning where um, Keith Andrews did press a proper press conference before an Ireland match for the first time really in a long time and he was asked about uh, Roy Keane calling him a bullshitter and in fairness to, to Keith Andrews he just played it with a straight bat and went that had no impact on me at all uh, after my family this is the only thing that I care about and that I'm most passionate about when you're in camp and someone says stuff about you, how easy is it actually not to get a little bit sidetracked by it? So what would it have been like when Roy did that interview, I think it was with the Sunday Independent a couple of years ago, and called Keith Anders a bullshitter? Would would the team have talked about it? Would people have been surprised that uh, it came up? Would it, have, would it have rippled at all?
5: I think, listen, there would have been a good giggle last night around the table, and once it gets out this morning, the players will be on, obviously on... He's back probably giving him a bit of stick but listen anyone that knows Keith Andrews he's fairly stubborn himself so he'll be, he'll have a job to do obviously he'll be doing and he'll get on with it uh,
3: He was uh, cutting his teeth in media he would he did a show here with us and he was obviously on Sky all the time as well and was doing really well and had become an excellent co-commentator and he he killed it he, he knocked it all on the head he could have easily kept going with Sky doing championship and co comment on the Premier League but he decided he was going to give this his full goal, which is, I think, pretty impressive. Um And, you know, obviously we, we know Keith a little bit, not very well, but a little bit from his time with us Um and always found him to be great to deal with. The furthest thing from a bullshitter you would ever actually find, someone who was thoughtful about what they wanted and who was very determined to kind of keep learning and, and acquiring new skills. What's your experience of him?
5: Yeah, 100% that. Uh, Keith is focus on whatever he does when he when he does media he would obviously do a lot of good prep for his work he was doing he was well educated when it comes to getting in front of the camera and having the stats ready and having everything ready in his favor and again the key word he's knocked the media on the head to do this which will tell you all about it he was completely focused on Ireland completely focused on improving himself as a coach he's got loads lots to learn he's he's I think over the past couple of years, probably been approached for other jobs as well, and turned them down on the basis of he's committed to Ireland. So he's in a really good place. Uh, they deservedly really got a new contract for themselves. Roy is now media in the UK. He's taken over. He's a sensation to a certain degree. So maybe Roy should stick to that as well and and be what he is. And he's doing a good job of that too. In yeah. The UK. So
4: this is the thing though that you know the, the, the this is why people i guess like love the daily mail uh, app or whatever it's just this stuff sells whereas like as you say keith does his research um you know he, he's he's a, he's an erudite kind of judge of the game um goes in he's a very good co-commentator says so he's a very good analyst people want to listen to the sound bites of Roy Keane, who, to my mind, and I think this is what Keith was bringing up at the time, like which, which I couldn't get over, how could Roy Keane preside over an Irish team who were so uh, anatimate to the way that Roy Keane himself played? And I, I think he, he was right to be called out on that at the time because Roy Keane was presided over a regime where our midfielders ran away from the ball.
5: Yeah, you're even losing me now. But yes, in terms of Roy as a player... Uh one of the best players for Ireland ever. Uh, As a coach, he's been successful too, in fairness to Roy. He's had some good times at Sunderland, some good moments. But right now, Roy is going one way, and that is to be a a pundit for the rest of his life. He's very good at it and uh, controls everything over here. He was different to what they had, so he's coming along at the right time, Roy, to, to be a success in the media, and good luck to him. I don't know. Is he
4: is he very good at it at all? Like he's obviously yeah, I think he's, he is. box office. What, yeah, what's, well, he, what's he offering though? Apart about, from the, uh, well, oh, he's, he's got to work harder. Entertainment, Johnny. They want, they want entertainment. But eventually, that runs out. It like, doesn't yeah.
3: though. It turns out. It turns out. It doesn't run out. People always want entertainment, and you can get he, the Monday night football stuff. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he asked, guys, do you actually think Roy Keane is like that offset? He's not like exactly. Completely different character. So there's other words for that. He's an actor, Roy. He, he's an actor. He's done a, a very good job at it the last couple of years, and. Uh, he knew what was needed to be a success at the time so that probably makes him a clever guy as well. You, you've
4: na- you've nailed it there because like he's such a compelling guy, and the more you you know, the more you're in the role he's in, the more you're kind of uh, you change because of the reaction to the role you're in, and the more you play up to that act, even though it's not actually who you are. Because well, Martin has so
3: many qualities as well, yeah. but he does play up to well, it. Okay, fair enough. He so there's definitely does. an element of it, but we did see the bit where the fans outside were looking for photographs. He wasn't acting then, mm. and that was the same kind of response he was having to why are you picking Fred? Like, mm. you know, so, some of it is definitely, he's, some, he's self-aware, yeah. I would argue, but some of it, I think, is is uh, genuine kind of bamboozlement at what's going on. I I think he was completely wrong about uh, Keith Andrews. Where does the bullshitter thing come from? Like, I don't I just well, talk, Because I Keith don't Andrews had been given out. Uh, yeah, but given but, out, but he, how does that make him a bullshitter? Like? Well, because I, I think one of the things that made Keane keen is the fact that he is so competitive and if you're on the outside pissing in, well, then you're the enemy. And mm. for that for that little period of time, he was the enemy. I, I mean, you, you couldn't say he. Is. Well, why
5: did you call him a butcher? Uh, excuse me, I can't remember. Why, why was he? What was the reason why he had to go? Uh, Keith.
3: Well, we didn't get a follow-up question in the in the interview to to uh, pinpoint specifically. But Keith, I think, was making the point that Johnny was making that Ireland's midfield was underperforming, and that the players didn't seem to be acquiring new skills when Roy was part of the backroom team. That you know, if I'm right in in the terms of the time, we we tried to look up some of the stuff that. Keith would have been talking about at the time and it was that Ireland's midfield seemed to be underperforming in the Martin O'Neill era and obviously Roy took his time to um to deliver his repast, which was and a couple of years later. Undies,
4: and well, we've had like there's so much. You know, Robbie Keane is brought up time, time again. We've never replaced Robbie Keane, but like Roy Keane was a generational talent. Like literally ran games. He was he embodied everything about midfield play. And as as a consequence, it's hard to see now that our midfielders, Josh Cullen hailed as you know the savior, or whatever by Dunphy today. That that Roy Keane couldn't get anything out of our midfielders. Notable for me.
5: Yeah, I, I think Roy has has a has a way of coaching managing that it's along the lines you can you can see it's it's Brian Clough it's Sir Alex Ferguson's Martin O'Neill I, I don't think they were all ever fantastic coaches they were mm. good managers great managers and yes they might have been better than what I think they are but I don't think they were the modern version of a Brendan Rodgers who's renowned to being a coach if you know what I mean Yeah, so somebody I, I thought it was a good
4: idea to put Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane together. That that's what I couldn't. So you, Roy Keane is not a coach. Martin O'Neill is not a coach. But they, yet they have, were
3: a dream team. They had other coaches, though. They it's, did, but like I mean,
4: it, like what, well, like Goby and whatever. And- that,
5: listen, I don't think they're no fools either. But they, they they're not a modern day coach. That clearly, both of them are very good thinkers of the game. Very good in terms of trying to get in people's heads and motivate people. That that was clear to see. The, the modern day coaches now, I, I don't think, I don't know how good. Uh, a manager at the moment as a coach, but I do know Keith Andrews is a very good coach. I had him for a couple of weeks when I was still playing at MK Don's and he surprised me how good he was for such an early coach and how demanding he was of the player. So I, I do know he can coach Keith, to be fair to him. And uh, I think he's done the right decision in, in what he's decided to do and is very dedicated to it. Listen, I'll have conversations with Keith and the manager of, about players I think should be being picked for Ireland and we'll, we'll get heated, we'll get constructive with it, and then we'll forget about it and move on. Are they, are, they all your, be, yeah. are they
3: all your players that you want picked? Is that, is that how that works? That, yeah, for yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, I
5: have.
3: We so, talk about it for I 20 minutes wanna, and agree you were know, right.
5: Well, hopefully in a year's time, when them players develop, they'll be in, and then it's the right time, in their opinion, to be in. And I'll never tell a manager that they should be playing. I'll always give a constructive view on why I think they should be in the squad, and then you can make your own decision based on the training. So a manager is a manager. Uh, I'm a football agent, so I'm not a manager. I don't pick players. I I always, of course, like anyone, would be constructive with my players. But I do know, going back to Keith, he is actually a very good coach and is keen to learn, keen to engage with other coaches as well in the UK to learn off them. So it's a good thing.
3: (laughs) Talk to us a little bit about that generation of young players who are coming through at the moment, because we're very excited by the quality of uh, kids who are at between kind of 16 and 19 in the Ireland setup at the moment, and even just the way Chidozie Bene has managed to break through. Like he's still playing League One football. The hope will be that he's playing Championship football next year, and that he gets an opportunity week in, week out against a slightly higher calibre of opposition to do what he's doing at the moment for Ireland. So, what's your assessment of where we are with regards to the talent pool?
5: Yeah, the talent pool, I watched you in the '19s last week, they were actually very unlucky not to get something out of the game against England. The referee bottled it. Uh, I do think, again, you go back to two years ago, Joe, when we're talking about the Tri-Paris, Adamoidas, the colonies of the world, uh, there's going to be bumps in the road for them players. Uh, the Jason Knights of these days are, are almost like a throwback to an old-fashioned player to a certain degree with, with a with a good skill set. So, there's got to be bumps in the road for these players along the way. It's important that we don't hype them up too much. Let them focus on the football. Like Festy at derby can be, I said to someone last week, he can he can be unplayable some days, and can be outrageously good. But then on some other days, you wouldn't pick him in the, on the bench. He can be that bad. So and I've seen a lot of them over the last couple of years. So they do need time. These boys, they new they do need guidance. And I think they're going in the right direction. I'm really pleased in terms of Jason Knight's got a lot of games under his belt. Uh, a to a certain degree, to degree, probably needs to go play higher. He's had a, a year of it before in a struggling team. If you get him in a team, you can see he's very explosive, very random in his play, but that makes him dangerous. So I am excited for the young boys coming through. Now, yes, for what, sure.
3: what do you think Fessy's best position is?
5: <sighs> just let him loose and let him play on the right wing. Keep Keep it simple for him and say, right, listen, just get it and run because he is so direct, he is very very explosive but he's got to find he's got to find a brain cell along the way as well and and realise that the level he's playing at he has to keep the ball sometimes in certain areas and if he does that then he'll he'll get punished going the other way against better teams Has he not improved on that huntie though? Uh, He's still got a long way to go in my opinion in terms of controlling his positioning, his his sense of danger where he sees danger but having said that his speed is so quick, he just he, he recovers with his speed, he relies on his his pace to get him out of trouble to a certain degree. And listen, he'll have a, a year or two development, but if you're bring on somebody within the Irish setup to have an impact, then definitely Festi could be one for sure. And
3: just the the, the number of Irish players who are looking to Europe you know we see with Josh Cullen at Anderlecht how well that's worked for him in terms of his international career and, and hopefully from a club perspective uh, as well into the future for Fessy heading to Italy is that something that you would recommend is that something that as as an agent you've started to look at for your players or does it really depend on the individual character and whether or not he's going to be able to make it when he goes somewhere like Italy
5: I think every character is different uh you clearly want to have an English-speaking, Irish-speaking language going over there, if you can, with, with the club. Also, there's a case for... Is he going to Udinese, I think it is, to come back to Watford? They're both the same clubs. Have they bought him with the idea of bringing him back to Watford in a certain time? So they'll know the plan, what it is for him over there. Everyone's different. There's obviously a few boys going to Italy which the language will be difficult for them to speak which makes it harder but at the same time the education of football will be amazing and the detail they'll learn in a year or two over there will be different to what they would learn in England so, or Ireland for that matter so it'll be good only time will tell and yes it is a bit of a gamble but it's a bit of a gamble going to England as well so looking forward to seeing the results over the next couple of years
3: Is there anybody else coming through at this stage who you think yeah I'd love to see them in the team at the
5: moment Listen, I, I'm not going to name names. I, I do think the current proper players needed a couple of years to, to bed into it. I think, in fairness to Troy Parrott, he's had a resurgence this year in terms of playing games. He's found himself a little home in MK Dons, who are doing very well. Uh, he's played for the middle for most of it. Uh, and the manager there has, has good belief in him. So I think he's in the right place now. If, the, if MK Dons could get promoted, then I'm sure he'd have Parrott back next year to play in the Championship. So it's exciting times uh, I think the manager deserves good credit for he did stick to his principles key that's right it's very easy to, to change up but if you look at our second goal on Saturday that actually comes from a, a direct piece of play and Matt Doherty being on the front foot for the second ball so I do think the right mix of football sometimes short most of the time short and then if we need to go along a little bit then we can do so I think we're in a good place just trying to just wait that year if you know what I mean to try and get some competitive games is a problem to motivate the players won't be an issue with the fans that were there Saturday. I was there myself it was it was a good atmosphere full house nearly and and it was good to be there
4: and um, just on Paris um Hunte, the I, I'd say he's maybe his highest point as an Irish kind of international in terms of underage was when um there as as today when they're away to Sweden um in the in the twenty ones. his performances for Ireland against Sweden under Kenny um in both Tala and Sweden were Sensational, and I think Kenny said at half time in the tala game, Ireland were losing. And another player relayed that Kenny basically said, Troy, you just we just need you here, we need you to uh, to do it. And he just turned it on. And they won like I think they won 4 1 for me, 1 0 down. He was, um, he got an unbelievable, I think he got two goals in Sweden, one of them was just uh, unbelievable quality. How good could he be? Or like, are we worried about, well, you know. Is there a limit to what Troy can do here? Does he lack something that means that he hasn't maybe made... Like, it's not that long ago people were constantly asking Mourinho in press conferences, why isn't he playing?
5: No, I think I think with Troy, his physical attributes from under 15, 16 were very much... He was ahead of the game and he, mm. had, he had a good stride on him. He was very strong. He was very well able to carry the ball. And it was clear he was going past people for fun. But as you get older and you get into the first team then players become obviously better to become aware of the obvious skill set quite easily. They're able to read it. So I think tries had to learn learn the game a little bit over the last year and a half. Some very much bad at times, but maybe a good thing for his long-term career that he hasn't had the success that he thought he'd have. Not so much him, to be fair, from him, but what other people thought he would have early on. He, he, he needed to learn the game. He needed to play as a centre-forward. He can clearly play left, right, number 10, possibly even number eight as he gets older I think he can make them long bust and run so I think we're in a good place with him and hopefully it continues Same Team instead
3: of Adam Eda as well like that. It's, it, and that is the pitfalls for a lot of young players Yeah well the setback might not be the worst thing for either of them they'll, they'll come back stronger for us Stephen good physically. stuff thanks a million cheers
5: Guys I gotta go Yeah, got, thanks a million a, a school
4: it, run school yeah, run no I'm hassles thanks I guess it's just physically that like you know you, you can be ahead of players your peers at that age and you know they, they catch up and then they actually pass you out in terms of going to senior football Um which I haven't seen that much of Troy Parrott this season but like he does he does have that kind of real quality around the box if I think tonight could be big for him just reading in between the lines from Andrew's press conference there's a lot of Troy Parrott I don't talk. think he's going to start um, I think he's going to play a reasonable role anyway like, like 45 yeah, minutes yeah or half an hour or something like that I think they're going to give him a reasonable chance because like Andrew's just the way he spoke about all oh, the difference and he's doing so well in training and you know I don't know if you read Anthony to him appearing in press conference but I definitely read into the way Andrew spoke about him we need to also see players like Troy play tonight because I mean, we're playing, with all due respect to
3: Lithuania, regardless of what the result is, we need to see other players. We do. We do need to see other players. But if you are the management team, this is one of those rare occasions where actually the the victory and the momentum from the victory and the, that is actually important. So. It is, but you've got to manage that as well as bring in other players. Like
4: Regardless of what, if you play two different teams tonight, two different halves, we should still be beating Lithuania.
3: Um, or you know still be beaten is not something that really uh, surely at this point in our lives we're like okay
4: w- one defeat in 11 um, scoring what yeah, we, I I 10 mean, goals in 5 yeah, or whatever Luxembourg it is Luxembourg beat us at home um, yeah, but th- they didn't beat us at home because there was nobody there like it's well, not that's us not us home. home it's not it was d- well, there, it's there, there stats showed it. stats showed that it became irrelevant where okay, you were playing but they didn't be at the game it's all about it that was. raucous lands on Apples for <laughs> <Yeah>. not drinking points <laughs> yeah Okay,
3: awesome. uh, so we should tell you that League of Ireland late night is going international tonight from 10 oh, o'clock yes. looking back at the uh, international window Nathan, Johnny and Shane Keegan will be live on Twitter Spaces we want to hear from you it's our new digital phone in check out off the ball Twitter from 10 o'clock tonight
4: yeah so this is usually the refuge Filth. of League of Ireland uh, D- Gens as I'd call them uh, calling in on sometimes on the way home sometimes on the way to the sometimes bar you're on sometimes the on the home. 16 bus sometimes like you're me. in the bar but we'd like to see what the I guess you'd like to see what the interest is tonight because um, it's, it's Ireland it's box office um, you know great ticket sales again um, so go on to the Twitter spaces I think it's a brilliant format I have to say that it's been very little used in Ireland so far yeah. um, but it gives everyone the opportunity to ring to ring in and um, hopefully we'll have lots to talk about and Nathan I mean, he, he deserves uh, a lot of plaudits for his prediction that Thierry Henry would ultimately inspire Ireland to turn the game around on Saturday.
3: I'm surprised he hasn't clipped that and put it up on social as a uh, look at look what I s- accurately Is predicted. he that type? Yes. Yeah, OK. We know that. Three minutes past eight this morning, OTAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Richard Red Bulls. How are you, Richard? says, singing songs at a match is something football crowds do, something rugby crowds try to distance themselves from. Well,
4: Swing Low Sweet Chariots um, at England games is still one of the most evocative tunes, um, I presume. the Yeah, I don't know. The Fields of Like I have to say, the Ireland games I was asked the the most common thing the fans were trying to engage in was a Mexican wave, and that's
3: never a good sign. No. Uh, The easiest way to deal with this is that you can't drink at your seat, but can drink as much as you please, On the concourse Says Mark That's what they do In Gaelic
4: games To the best of my knowledge And seems to work fine And it also kind of Brings up this Sort of dilemma Like should I be Going to a game And just literally Spend it indoors Looking out a window At the game No you shouldn't You should definitely But but a lot of people Aren't that interested This is the thing A lot of people Are at these games They're just there For the junket Well the stadiums Are big Yeah they're big Like there's 50,000 people Give
3: or take A lot of them Are sort of indifferent Eh Aina clearly from Galway because it's a Galway name, says more money in the LOI can only be a good thing, especially outside of Dublin, if the Comers make a success out of Galway, which they have a habit of doing, it might open the floodgates for other clubs.
4: Yeah, the, the Comers have, uh, you know, one of the few billionaires in, in Ireland. Um, so the money they've invested in Galway United is small by their standards, but really, really big by the standards of a League of Ireland first vision club. We've seen Dermot Desmond, Gareth Keller, Philip Doherty and Derry invest now in League of Ireland. And I think in terms of, it's never been a better time or at least worse time to invest in the League of Ireland Club, if that makes sense, because the players' uh, values are going up a lot, the underage players. There's money coming through from the UEFA Conference League that makes it possible to break even comfortably if you run your uh, you know, budget properly. And hopefully, in the near future, we'll have proper prize money within the league itself. Yeah, that
3: would make a big difference. Mm, um, the FEI is, is short of cash. The problem with the rugby is its corporate nature, says Doombot. In the last five years, I've not been able to buy a single ticket. The only hope you have of getting a ticket is through a business or corporation. I don't think that's true though, because like well, I, for the Six I, Nations, it is.
4: Well, I source tickets for the Wales for the Wales game readily enough um, through a friend buying basically online. So it's not. So your friend bought tickets on Ticketmaster value, for the Wales game. It wasn't Ticketmaster, but he Was got through a club. He got them readily enough. I don't think it was through a club. I I tried them there and make sure that you, this is. I try not to deal with Ticketmaster. I find their pricing is just so unfair. Um, so it wasn't through Ticketmaster. But the, the the way the tickets were bought, you had to buy Italian tickets as well. It was like a package, but they were both face value, and
3: we bought it literally over a pint. All right, um, which is ironic given the conversation we're having. Yeah, it shouldn't be drinking. It's just bad. Uh, here's Damien Delaney talking about the evolution of Ireland style under Stephen Kenny. How look.
2: I think he has come away from his early um, total football um, slow uh, plate where teams can drop into a shape and you find it hard to break them down. There's definitely more of an element of directness. And by the way, that's brilliant. I think it's great. And he's utilising Ogbené's Physicality and his power and his pace of running in behind, um, you know, balls get spun down the side more. Callum Robinson gives you uh, or gave us on the weekend a, a real direct threat. So he's got direct players who run in behind at the top of the pitch. You know, those games where he played with, you know, um, you know, Troy Parrott, they're all players that like to come and link it. Aaron Connolly, I mean, I'm not sure how you how you describe him. He, he's a little bit of everything, but he's not a direct, pacey runner in behind. He likes to come inside and link it. Um, he's put players in the team that threatened him behind, and um, we are not turning that opportunity down. As we saw with the, the equalising goal, I think it was Matt Doherty arrived to pick up a knockdown, and there was nothing fancy. He just helped it into the corner. It wasn't a particularly good ball, but it was just a, 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 a kind of spinning a ball down the side, and now Benny made something of it. Um, and I think that's really smart in his point. You know, I think early on in the in the in the, in the campaign, there was maybe a we're kind of a little bit stodgy and we passed the ball and we were trying to be too intricate and trying to find players in pockets and it all got a little bit slow and 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 predictable. Um, but now we're playing some nice football and we are passing it, but we're also not turning on the opportunity of the, the players that we have in, in Robinson and Aukbeni, and which is just balls just spun down the side. Um, and then the two midfield players are, are are competent passers of the ball. I think Jeff Hendricks is in the middle of a renaissance. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen... Um, jeff played as well uh, with the ball, even when he was playing um, at his peak in Burnley. he was always just kind of you know he was in the team for legs to get up and, and and Burnley played a four five one and he could link the the midfield to the attack very very quickly and he was always very very competent but i 'm seeing a level of composure in jeff 's play at the moment now where he 's playing a couple of passes in in into pockets and sliding balls down the side and picking people out so you know they 're both very very competent passes of the ball, and as I said, it just seems to be a nice little mm. little uh, thing happening at the moment
4: right he just I think in fairness to DD right he was all for Kenny at the start then he sort of called out some of the aspects of um, the first you know whatever amount of games which obviously wasn't good and now he's basically extolling the positives of the change Um, I think he's been on top of the narrative pretty much with Kenny all along um, I actually do I think he's right because we don't we don't that really really extreme passing outside the back in an in an, all, an alternative world right Ronaldo scores that penalty which how many times out of 10 does Ronaldo score a penalty even against Gavin Zuna 7.5 I think is it that? It's more than that. I don't know. The average, the average penalty taker scores, I think, roughly 7 out of 10. So I presume... Anyway, Ronaldo should score the penalty. Ireland get tanked 3-0. And everyone is like, what were you doing passing the ball out from the back? Since then... 84%. 84 Ronaldo, mm. that's, that's high. I think the average is roughly 7. Anyway, so after that, Brazuna has an unbelievable game, uh, obviously, afterwards. Um, but Ireland played very well and so on and so forth. But we did change, though. We did change to... Be a little bit more pragmatic,
3: I think, with possession. And whoever that has, whoever that's down to. I remember having um a. long conversation with you when Kenny arrived I don't like the way this is going and uh, I was like oh we're, we're going to play three at the back this is definitely going to happen you're like under no circumstances will he I ever couldn't. play three at the back I have watched Stephen Kenny play from the time that he was a 22 year old manager of Longford Town and Tala and those boys and he brought them through For, and he's never first, once first played of all, he back got back job
4: got the job at Longford at 26 Whatever. secondly this is not Whatever. what happened you would have you said, said you said, would have said you oh said. would three at the back suit no. us because it might no. suit the players like, we have to play three and at, at the back it's the only way we can possibly make it and I would in fairness I would have said well Kenny's never played three at the back. And I don't see do it at it now, all. So it will never, happen. never, never happen. Exactly. It's probably exactly. what I said. Exactly. exactly. But it, I, I, I know he did so, not plan this. I know it wasn't he, planned. Now he claims he has an always open the England mind. game and oh the game in Wembley that made. Now I think it might have had more to do with Andy Barry. I don't know. I think Kenny does like to try to say this whatever,
3: is, whatever, whatever, whatever yeah. happened. however Whoever there, it was the right. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Anybody look at our
4: playing staff We, we do look so. The three at the back. It does really suit us at the moment, and I think partly it is because that third centre back is now willing to take chances and press high and even get on the ball and John
3: Egan is doing what John Egan did for Sheffield United in the Premier League when they were at their best and they were playing three at the back yeah. um, and so it, it just made sense and I think that like the whole notion that um, it's only been outside forces that have forced Kenny's hand is, is wrong I think that he's open minded and you talked to Vinnie Perth about what they hey, would yeah. have done over the years and like they would have gone I've been happy to be super defensive in away games in Europe to like make sure that they lock mm. everything down. It's not like it's, it's this whole notion that they were only ever going to play this stodgy passing, 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 passing stuff wasn't actually correct. They, yeah. The team may not have fully un- the, the team was a new team with players that they were trying shuffling through. It's like a, a Alliance League campaign for a team who is either brand new or incredibly experienced. You shuffle a bunch of players through to see what what else is there, the shit sticks or it doesn't. Now, unfortunately, his results were so bad, his job was at risk yeah and that was but do, do, the do, added pressure to this whole thing you know,
4: the, the beauty of this is as well you go out there with a the plan but you go on a journey and things happen and things change the course of history so Gavin Bezunu, like absolutely where he makes that pass and was it Hendricks Like again it was Hendrick was kind of like it was It was actually a borderline decision I think it went to VAR but anyway it goes to a penalty but like in terms of the history of Irish football Gavin Bizzunu as a young kid to do that and all the pressure on him and then just turn around and say oh whatever I'm going to say this penalty for Naldo." I I think that was like a defining moment well, in that was, worst and, worst and, and that Wow! Yeah, you know, that would okay. been,
3: Ronaldo. Obviously, does set the record later in the game. Yeah, wow! Well, well, that, well, that, well, that was his record-setting well, moment.
4: I right? was because I was at the game then against Serbia, where Bazunu and uh, Medele's performances, I think, completely lifted the nation. It was like, and we we were battered in that game, battered. But then the last, the crowd just stuck with them, stuck with them. Could see Bazunu was amazing that night. Medele was amazing, and the two like young kids. I think they were. You know, out in the pitch together beforehand at one of the subsequent games or whatever t- chatting away and there was a photo of the two of them was like this is the future of Ireland and they're not burdened by the crap of how Ireland football has been and downtrodden for so many years in terms of players told not to play but at the same time Zuna doesn't make that pass now particularly not against somebody he just does not make that pass to Hendrik I think in a game of that nature and I'm not sure why that has changed well, maybe it's like yeah. uh, no it's okay and I, by the way Kelleher on the ball I, on Saturday I thought was so good like when he, the ball is at his feet is Bozzino still our number one though ah, like, I, I've, I haven't seen in Kelleher um anything to suggest that he's Gavin Bizzuno if that makes sense whereas when you look at when you look at, at Bizzuno it's just like you're just off the charts he saved a penalty in Turner's Cross at I think he was 16 against Kieran Saldier and anyone who was there that night is like and this was an amazing penalty save it wasn't straight
3: out, it was like oh okay all right we've got to take a quick break it's 13 minutes past 8 here this morning if you want to get involved we'd love to hear from you you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream or of course you can text us on 0879 180, 180. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Evian Riley is standing by we'll get to our next OTB AM alright it's 14 minutes past 8 here this morning on OTBAM, and the Galway takeover continues I'm glad oh, yeah. to say Evian Riley is with us Evian good morning to you how are you getting on?
6: Hi, I'm good, thanks, Sorry.
3: Yeah, very good. So you made your Ireland debut at the weekend. Um, what about the actual experience itself was it something that might have surprised you in the aftermath? You are like, oh, I didn't realise that was it was going to feel like that or it was going to go that way.
6: Yeah, it was just surreal, standing there, like, singing the anthem. Um, that's when it really hit. And the attendance was crazy. Like, we had a record crowd there on Saturday. So that was just something else.
4: That makes a big
3: difference as well, doesn't it?
6: Oh, yeah, Completely. Like, it just really, the atmosphere is just insane. I couldn't get over it.
3: When did you know you were getting picked?
6: Um, So we found out on Monday as a team, all together. So I knew for the full week then, and I had to try to keep it quiet.
3: And plenty of time to get tickets for family and friends?
6: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
3: And is that something that you're going to have to get used to? The hassle of like, ah, here, get me a ticket for this, as opposed to like, just get your own tickets, come on.
6: (laughs) Um, Well, we get given a few tickets, so the select few, get them ones, and then... Yeah, my friends travelled up from Banislow and then a few college friends came as well. So I just had to let them know to get their hands on some as well.
4: What, what was your background in terms of getting into rugby in Bannisloe? I know it has a bit of a kind of a rugby um, heritage there and yourself and obviously Bevan yeah. as well. It's 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 obviously a big enough thing in the town.
6: Um, Yeah, so we all kind of started out playing GA and then my dad was involved in the mini rugby in Banislow. And my brother's only a year ahead of me So and my eldest brother were playing as well. And it was community games. There was like a 12-a-side team and the rule was you needed two girls. So um, my dad was coaching and obviously volunteered myself. So I just kept playing after then, played with the boys for a while. And then there was an under-15s team set up and myself and Babe joined the same year. And then loads of girls just start transferring in from GAA, and we just had a really good setup
4: there. I, I'm I'm really interested in that as a young girl in Ireland because you're you know my sister would have come through totally the the, the, the Gaelic Games in a big big Gaelic Games community, but there's no rugby at all. I mean, there's a soccer team, yeah. rugby just doesn't really exist. I mean, unless you went to Craig's, which is obviously developing. Um, but how how does how does rugby sell itself to the young girl who has? Other options and rugby wouldn't necessarily have the best reputation in terms of getting any kid, male or female, into.
6: I think uh, what attracted me to it was just that it's for everyone and it's a very easy game to pick up and it's also very exciting. Like I feel like with GA, um, not that it's not for everyone, but like I feel like there's more opportunities with rugby at the moment and also it's just a very disciplined sport. Like you wouldn't have any of that chatting back to the ref or anything like that. So it's also great for like life skills and things like mm. that, and um, that's what kind of attracted me to it. And I, I ended up quitting football and just sticking with rugby.
3: The collisions—that's what you're talking about, isn't it? That, it's for yeah. everybody. You can you can smash somebody. Which and is you're a are half now. In fairness,
6: yeah. <laughs> I was starting to do that on the Gaelic field, and I was like, okay, it's time to leave.
4: <laughs> <laughs> like a, for it. As a scrum half, when did you realise that? Like, what age? Are you When you were like, wow, I really really enjoy passing this ball, like.
6: Um, I think I always played scrum half. I played on the wing a bit as well, but um, I suppose I was quite small when I was younger, and that was kind of where the small people were put. And also, <laughs> my, brother, my brother was also a scrum half, and um, he plays professionally now for Connacht. So I suppose just watching him be a scrum half, I was a year younger and wanted to do exactly the same thing as him at the time. So I suppose that's why I stuck with the scrum half position.
3: When you're coming through, right? Your your pathway, I think, is is the sevens first, and then ultimately you make it to the the fifteens team. When did you get your first sevens contract? How did that all come about? And and how important for you in terms of like, actually, this is something I want to pursue as my main thing. When when that decision got made and that that pathway was there, when did that penny begin to drop, kind of properly?
6: Um. So I was always playing sevens under eighteen. So that was the setup there. So. I was playing with Connacht, um, 15 aside into pros, and then I also played with their sevens team. So then under 18, I would have been on the team. And then when I moved up to Dublin for college, um, I was offered a sevens contract there. So we're based out in Abbottstown in HBC. So I joined, I think it was October last year. That's when I signed my contract. So I've been with them like over a year and a half now.
3: So I think I'm right, saying so you're in UCD, is that right? Yeah, UCD, yeah how do you balance those like it's it's tricky for um full time athletes to make sure that they get the rest it's tricky for uh, students to make sure they're doing all the work they're supposed to be doing um sometimes on purpose they're not doing it and sometimes they're just not a- able to do it how do you manage to keep that balance going
6: um i have great friends in my course that always keep me in check um that's one of the the main um things there but also I suppose just I work better under pressure and when I'm given a certain amount of time to do something, I kind of do it to my best of my ability while I can then if I'm under pressure, like I don't really have an easy fix. I'm still struggling, but um, I'm almost there now. So
3: This is your final year, is that right?
6: Yeah, final year. So I have, I think it's like two months left.
3: Right. And uh, to ask the parental question, what's next? What what are you going to do next? Mm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Play for Ireland.
6: A year out? Oh, no, I don't really know yet so I've applied for a couple of masters and um, undergrads so I might just go straight into them or or else just play rugby for a year and work part-time I'm not quite sure yet.
4: I, I, like, How feasible is it for somebody like you to become a pro rugby player in the next 10 years?
6: Um, I suppose like we're not pro at the moment and it's something that like every girl would want to be but that's not our focus at the moment our focus is just getting better as a team and I'm sure it will happen down the line but at the moment it's um, we're just our focus is the Six Nations and qualifying for the next World Cup so um, I'm sure it'll happen down the line but at the moment it, it, it's not
3: because there, there is a pathway where you could spend some time in, in England or even France is that something that you've thought about like is that <laughs> You know, I-
6: um, yeah, I'd love to play in the prem, but I'm also really enjoying sevens at the moment, and it's I like I like the way I can intertwine between sevens and fifteens, and also play aal here in Ireland. So at the moment, I'm going to stick to that. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's it's something I would luck to down, to do down the line. Yeah,
4: you, you've you've a lot to mix in. So how do you like? What's the extent of Ireland training? I mean, you know, obviously you're you're pointing for a professional game, but how how much can you guys actually do considering you know the, the players have so much else going on?
6: Um, for fifteens, yeah, we come into camp on a Wednesday for for the Six Nations, and then we'll be training Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then match Saturday, or some of the fixtures are on a Sunday as well. So, um. I'm not quite sure what the other girls do, but they just get time off work. Mm. And yeah, that's just the sacrifice we make.
4: And like, like last weekend, were you expecting to start? I know you said you got an early nod, but...
6: Uh, definitely not. No, I mm. was so surprised um, seeing my name there. So, but um, yeah, a huge honour.
4: Just, it must be some experience your family are up coming from the west of Ireland playing in front of uh, you know a record crowd um as you say the national anthem and I guess did, did 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 you were you happy with your performance in the end
6: yeah like I had a few mistakes um I'm sure we all did but yeah I was ultimately like despite the despite the loss like it was still a very special day for me and I made sure that I enjoyed it and like relished it all in because you know you don't get your first cap um twice so Mm. yeah it was very special i had my grandparents there my cousins friends from home college like it was just a very special day like unfortunately we didn't get the win but um yeah i'm very grateful that it was a a home match for my first cap
3: that's class that that whole kind of uh that journey that you've been on and you know you're brother being a professional rugby player as well uh, you kind of fully understand exactly what the requirements are to make it to the, the very top level. To go back to the game itself, in the ebb and flow of the match were there points where you thought actually we're going to we're gonna continue this momentum on and win the game or did it always feel like it was on a bit of a knife edge?
6: Yeah I thought we had patches of really good play Um, once we got the ball quick like we showed really good speed and when we worked it out to the edges and we were making really good game line, but I suppose we thought we were going to win. Like, that's the mindset you're, you're going to have playing the game. Like, when you're when you're on top, like, you obviously want to stay there, but unfortunately it was just towards the second half, Wales, Wales were just a bit more dominant. We we had barely any possession, which um, is something we'll look to improve, but, yeah, it was just unfortunate in the end. But there was a lot of positives to take from the match, and it's just important to look at them as well as, as well as our work ons.
3: France also had a record crowd for their game last weekend and obviously they you know we know the investment that they've made and the professionalism that they have and the numbers they have so it is um it's quite the task you have ahead of you this week.
6: Yeah, definitely like France they're on a completely different um it's like stage of their journey as then we are. You know, they're preparing for a World Cup. Um so that it is going to be a huge challenge for us but we're just going to have to relish the opportunity to play against one of the best teams and just try put it up to them as well.
4: What's the positives of this new coaching regime?
6: Um, so we have Greg, Briggsy, uh, uh, Dave Gannon in there as well. Um, like it's a whole new uh, environment and they're very enthusiastic. Like they're really encouraging us to play like exciting rugby and showcase their skills. So,
4: which was evidence um, against Wales, like.
6: Yeah, so it is a great environment to be in, and you know we're just constantly striving to be better. It's it's not going to be a quick fix for us, you know. It's a long term project. Um, but yeah, like I'm sure as the campaign um moves on, that we will will hopefully be getting better and better and um, working towards like, you know the next World Cup.
4: Do you go into a game like France then with I mean, hopefully your second cap? Like do you go in with ooh, this this fear or or is this are you just too young to even um think about things like that
6: oh no like i, I wouldn't uh, i wouldn't say that at all um but, you know you still get nervous so i'm sure i will i'm I'm not one to get nervous prematurely or else i won't be able to function for the week but mm. um um i feel like i have a lot of the nerves over me now I'm, I'm saying that now but i don't know what i'll be like um hopefully come saturday but um yeah, I suppose. Like I know what it's like being on the pitch now. It's it's just like any other game at rugby. It's only us inside the inside inside the pitch line. So um, yeah, I, I hopefully I'll be fine if if I'm on then.
3: How how does this group? Uh, quantify success over the course of the Six Nations? Because um, it is a new a new group, you know, it's not just a new management team, it's a new group of players as well. And you guys are taking possession of the jerseys and making sure that this is going to be your career as an Ireland player and as an Ireland team. What, what at the end of the Six Nations, would you look back on and go, okay, you know, we didn't get everything we wanted, but we got a lot of what we wanted. What would that be?
6: I suppose just um, making sure that we're all proud of the performances we we put out um making sure that we're all working hard and that you know that it's it's not our skills letting us down um and that also that we're adapting to the new systems like i suppose coming away from each game saying like that game was better than the last that's that's how you judge success and um, we just constantly want to strive to get better so i suppose that's how we'll um judge um our success from this campaign
3: well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck. Congratulations on the first cap. Best of luck in the finals, which I, do, you, do you get any special dispensation for like, hey, look, I was really busy. I was playing for Ireland. Can I, you know, can I have an extra few weeks?
6: Um, I hope so. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure I have a request at the moment, but um, hopefully it won't interfere too much. But um, I'm sure if it will, it'll be very accommodating. Please God.
3: Well, listen, best of luck with everything, Eve. Thanks a Thanks for joining much. us. Thanks. Thank you, it's yeah. even Riley there ahead of the game against France this weekend. Um so fingers crossed she's gonna get picked again I'd say, she probably is. Yeah, um Young
4: Scrum half. I must I must I must get into the watching some of these games. I think I do wonder I probably should have asked, do some of the the, the rugby team are they re- envious of the like the football team has gotten it seems like there's a more of a hype around it the last few years like even though they haven't necessarily been all that good either I mean um, there's just seems to be more even in team yeah like a lot of a lot of chat about them and you know there's a lot of interest in Tala um, and obviously the, the women's rugby have had totally different issues in terms of you know rightly looking to progress the game here and so forth in the IRFU and, and so on and would I think say that the, the women's team has come fundamentally
3: were the same
4: they were yeah well it's just they're, maybe they've come through them faster and you know I think the, the women's team in the football team is in a good place in that regard now but um, yeah I guess the France game is going to like I mean, the, the the Wales game as much as they they were good, like they did end up like kind of surrendering badly in second half. So I, I guess in, in
3: a young coaching team, you don't want to get hockeyed either earlier on because it can completely dent confidence. Yeah, and it's going to be very hard for them not to get hockeyed by mm. the French this weekend. So certainly people are going to need realistic expectations, and I suppose that's the the point about um, what does success look like for this team. Mm. You know, at the end of it they, they feel like they're making progress some patterns of players are starting to emerge you you, as a coaching ticket I suppose know who the core of the team is going mm. to be into the future and you start building with them and hoping that they're the ones that How proud must her dad be though to have like
4: you've got to marvel at these families that's just so high achieving and um, see the Eden Hazard's brother playing for Belgium the other night like is it all about genetics or how like are you just brought up in a way where you're driven to be good at sport
3: isn't it interesting that her staff and Bevan parson's came through at the same time yeah. in the same place through the same kind of system that they obviously were driving each other on
4: yeah it, it's ireland is so ireland is so mad as well we we don't think about it enough in terms of so many options for young kids like and we look at um i mean if you look at the monaghan dublin game I was watching the Monaghan game on Sunday and I was was just thinking like Monaghan people are absolutely infatuated with Gaelic football same as in Mayo and like other sports probably really really struggle there despite the fact that there are people who Uh, love them do you know what I mean Roddy the Rod squad Monaghan yeah like Monaghan United sadly is no more and um, you know I, I think Owen has done bits of work on Kilkenny how like Gaelic football can't get a look in um and and then for a girl like her who's basically really encouraged to get into sports but decides that like what if she never played rugby you know what i mean like she if she were my sister for example in Newbridge she's not going to play rugby she's going to play Gaelic football she played Gaelic football but because she's a background in it she's she's kind of compelled a lot of most girls do not play rugby like at a young age I, I mean how many of them even play sports it's on their eyes but because she's introduced to it then she's actually playing like scrum half for Ireland now
3: yeah and I think if you look back at the, the team that made the breakthrough a bunch of those players had played Gaelic football to a very mm. high level mm. um, you know Neve Briggs played for Waterford like there was a load of those who actually had been really high achieving Gaelic footballers who then transitioned in uh, Alison Miller I think was the same and um rugby has got quite good at that talent identification where there'll be a combine style day you come and if you're any good you get pushed into a club and you get coaching and that was the opportunity that rugby had that they blew over Mm. the last decade Mm. to build on that generation of Irish women who who won a a Grand Slam and who who beat the All Blacks and who reached the World Cup quarter semi-final no they were like well this is grand everything's everything's working fine what do we need to do here
4: The the wider question though male or female in when, when when that player who's like a really really high quality player when he or she decides like I'm not going to play three sports anymore and and then you get pressure from the, the you know the, the for example the soccer club and the. the 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 role of the parents is so
3: important. It really, really is. Yeah, I I, I do think this this conversation comes down to oh, stop forcing people to play one sport, mm. and that's not really what's happening. What they're saying is you could actually be elite in this sport if you were to concentrate on yeah. it at this point. You don't
4: yes. want to burn them out either. No, um, you don't. It's, it's it's a like, real it's
3: an interesting conversation. I think. Yeah, and um, I, you know, um, and I'm not talking about um, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds, but when you get to thirteen, fourteen, you'd kind of need to decide which one you're going to go for mm. to be the elite. Um, and I still, I still think the the kid there's, who... There's nothing wrong with the kids at that age wanting to try and see if they can make it.
4: Yeah, well, I still think the kid who pucks the ball off the wall both sides like every night or the kid who has a football at home has a better chance. I think if there are kids listening in, a lot of it is down to what you do like yourself as working at it. And uh, I still remember Johnny MacDonald talking about the Belvedere under-15s that he coached and he asked him, had they football at home? and half of them didn't. Do you know, so that's kind of the generation as well where it's not, it's not just turn up a train and then do it. You kind of have to be obs- obsessive maybe to, to get to the next
3: level. Yeah, 100%. Right, thirty two this morning. OTVM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Let's uh, bring you the newspapers.
5: There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's
3: a bullsh**.
7: <laughs> uh, ah, no, I Emma, mean, come on, don't be, don't be, no, i
3: yes. no. <laughs> yeah, that's a very appropriate clip to play you in with this morning. We can start with otbsports.com. Uh, episode 10 of the football pod is up now. Um, dub shot down McCurry Magic final predictions before the uh, championship starts Jeff Hendrick is going through a renaissance Damien Delaney talking on the show last night Austin Gleason's moment of madness this is the Hurling Pod we'll talk about that in a few minutes time and Robin Abramovich subject to poisoning after Ukraine peace talks. so he was in Kiev and um, he ended up showing some of the signs of poisoning that's the story that's broken in the last um, 24 hours maybe even less than that last 12 hours or so um, no one quite knows what what, yeah, what it's, the it's, what the rationale behind the suspected poisoning? Suspected was Suspected being the word, and maybe like was maybe he we, collateral damage to somebody else who was trying to be poisoned? Was the 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 one of the papers was like, oh, he was definitely the main target for this, mm. but there's uh, ambiguity, and also yeah, just it's it's aren't hard. Are they normally good at poisoning? Don't they yeah. know what they're
4: doing when it comes to that? It's, so it's hard to trust information. I'm not saying it's it's. I mean, it's hard to trust information in the media in the West at times. But with this, maybe there is a, a little bit of caution. Um, didn't look great now in the photos. To be fair. Um, oh no, I'm not saying, yeah.
3: you know, I don't think they're faking that part of it. Um, but he's
4: lived a very good life to this point, but I hope uh, he doesn't deserve to be poisoned. And who is he, who
3: is he representing
4: in the mm. in the talks? Like, what was the, do you know? I think with somebody like Abramovic, though, when he's there that long, it shouldn't have taken something like this for us to say, well, oh, like he's been great for Chelsea, he's done all this. Like, so what? Like,
3: how does, he, how does he acquire all this money? Why does he never give interviews? The uh, front of the Irish Times this morning it didn't affect me in the slightest Andrews brushes off Keane and Kenny knows too well not to underestimate Lithuania that's a piece by James McDermott Uh, Egan taking the bull by the horns as he builds towards career peak hopefully John Egan gets back to the Premier League Uh, Qatar will herald a major changing of the guard this is the uh, quality of footballer that we're watching we haven't talked about Gareth Bale Carl mm. is basically like a part time footballer full time golfer, golfer yeah and, um, and still able to affect games and still able mm. to do stuff yeah like what, what imagine imagine if he'd been at it the whole time for the last couple of years I can see why the Spanish presser, I know he said it was
4: sickening and so on, but like, I can see why they were a bit pissed off by his poor performances. Just a the point there about Lithuania be wary, Lithuania. It is true that Ireland have followed up really valiant performances against better opposition. By bad ones By bad ones And I know it's hard to lift But I think that's the point of tonight Is that we do have a bit of depth to the squad In the sense of playing Lithuania Where we can freshen it up And Brown came off the bench obviously And played a vital role on Saturday And you, you do
3: think freshen it up a bit And we will have to play more on the front foot Which will be interesting tonight Uh sorry from Sean Moran in the Irish Times this morning Leinster semi-finals may be taken out of Croke Park Following purge Um... I'm not sure which purge specifically uh, they're referring to, but they're saying that potentially that um, the strong possibility we won't have Dublin in Croke Park for the Leinster semi-final. We didn't make a decision on it at the time of the draw. It will be better to have 20,000 in Port Leeds or Tullamore or Nolan Park than 30,000 in Croke Park. This is like, the penny has dropped and this would have been exactly what would have happened. We would have had 20,000 games all around the country under proposal B. We should never forget that we had the opportunity to have the entire country aflame on weekends Mm. and not just Croke Park being used for big games three or four times a year. It was like every provincial ground would have been used and full at some stage in a meaningful match. A lot of these, we well, a down. lot of these
4: towns as well, could do with the tourism boost of people coming in. And whereas yeah. Dublin doesn't need Anton, um, the Indo's gone with the same thing about Andrews. Interesting one though as well, Gerard Donegal and our our map players face anxious wait over the Malise. There's a lot of footage there to look into, um, and also uh, just going into the paper. There's uh, Frank Brookes' analysis about we didn't get into this yet, but if Leinster football was a division, you would call it non-league, and obviously that's in relation to um, Dublin and Kildare about getting relegated, awfully getting relegated, Lee struggling as well. I'm not sure what that. I'm not sure is it what, what that what you'd put that down to in Leinster? Maybe it's just years of county struggling in well, the I, in the shadow of Dublin. Or
3: I think that like it's been mm. so Kildare
4: don't seem to be in a bad way though
3: uh, overall. No, and I don't. I think me they're going to be relatively happy with their league mm. campaign. It's completely off Broadway, and they're going to be. Fairly cleared through to a, a final. Um, yeah. Johnny Sexton is back for Leinster. I Leinster have their that, full, so, yeah. uh, their full squad of team. There you go. It's the back of the uh, Herald as well. They're playing Munster this weekend. Now a good time to get back into the club rugby. It's going to be good for the rest of the next mm. few months if mm. you've been only half paying attention. Into um, into which the the provincials. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of the games matter from this point forward. Really, Ten Hag warned off Manchester United. Who could possibly who would feel like who could possibly turn around to this guy who's on the verge of his dream job and saying no 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 don't do it. Louis van Gaal. Ooh. Because he he made such a success of the gig and it was nothing to do You might be right though. No No Louis van Gaal blew that job, signed crap players, couldn't integrate the good players into the team And played really bad football. Lewis van Gaal was a brilliant manager in the 90s. Mm. But he didn't join Manchester United in the 90s. Because they had an excellent manager themselves in the 90s. And so, van Gaal speaking at a Holland press conference yesterday said, Ten Hag is a great coach and that is always good for Manchester United. But Manchester United are a commercial club, so it's a difficult choice for a coach. He'd better go to a football club. This will sting, right? This will sting, Man United fans, because they think it's true and they they know it to be true that money is the thing that matters most to the owners because that's what owners are interested in. Yeah, but like in fairness
4: to the Glazers, whatever they take, their, like it's not
3: like managers haven't had their chance to bring in
4: players. It doesn't. It just seems it does seem like sour waves, to be fair. A um,
3: bit, yeah. He's kind of like Ten Hag should take the gig. Mm. The Man United gig comes along once for you. Absolutely, yeah. Take the gig. See what if he gets offered to take it. As the years go on, as well, the
4: expectation of Manchester United does wane a bit. I mean, they 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 haven't been a force in the Premier League in title race for so long now. That's um, they're not going to they're not going to get top four this year.
3: So the narrative is changing a bit about them. Ex boss makes damning claim. Money ball. B a w l. That is Tower. Of the morning to you. Mm. Van Gaal warns Ten Hag United are all about cash not the game of
4: football It's mad how the Roy Keane thing just dominates like he just literally dominates everything he's still
3: so all pervasive Baralatza on YouTube says lads if you ban Roy Keane related topics you might as well do a 30 minute show Mm. It's mad isn't it Few minutes behind here, but Roy Keane calls Keith Andrews a bullshitter. Then the three of you describe Roy Keane on screen as an actor, i.e., a bullshitter. Says Kenny the Dad, he's not a he's not I a bullshitter. I didn't I didn't say he was an actor either.
4: I he, he puts it on a bit. Like, he plays I, to the gallery because he's now a media pundit as but he's, opposed he's also, to
3: he's yeah okay. So I think he's a really compelling guy, very very intelligent is, guy. I, I think that I I don't think there's been any insincere stuff from him where he's faked it. I don't think there's been any faking going on. It's a bit exaggerated for effect, though, isn't it? Like, I mean, I, I don't. I I think that uh, I think that we've seen that. Keane
4: thinks. Why would you call Keith Andrews a bullshitter? Like, I mean, that that's just not based on anything. So that's
3: like well, it was it was bitterness, bitterness. Yeah, but I mean, it no, was not. It's not. It wasn't not based. So he was wrong. He was absolutely mm. wrong. But it was it was bitterness and it was vengeful. It was the same. There is a was venge- that him being Roy Keane being true. That's actually what he who he is. Yeah, like. he is vengeful. Yeah, he is bitter about stuff like the Matt Doherty stuff. Mm. Like he hammered Matt Doherty because Doherty had to go at them on the way out the day after Keane and O'Neill went. Doherty went and did a, I think an interview on Game On and said something about them that was something about something to do specifically with the coaching and the more instruction and like it was it was kind of but but he waited and waited and waited and waited and then. And then was withering of Darty at Darty's lowest point at Spurs, and now it turns out Darty is a fairly decent Premier League player. That's why Roy Keane isn't a football manager, I think. And, and but he's a brilliant pundit. I don't think any of it's fake. I actually don't think. I'm not sure
4: he's a brilliant pundit. Like if, 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 uh, he's he's very good to listen to. Do you to. turn him off? He's great. Um, do I turn him off <sighs> when the when the stuff is? I don't necessarily turn him on though so if Roy Keane is on, like is he going to give me some insight into why Man United aren't very good most poetry
3: I turn off after matches because I've seen the game most of it Yeah, most of it but I don't turn him off I'm like I'm just going to watch this now for a little while and see or if, I, if I'm flicking around To see what else is on We had on. David Conley on recently Who I hadn't heard before And I was like Conley's Actually I,
4: I listen to you again And you seem to be, be on top Of your brief But you're telling me Something here I don't know Roy Keane it gives a lot of sound bites And he's very entertaining But like is he
3: educating me I don't think he is Okay but not that- everybody Always wants to be educated 24 hours a day There's a little bit of your life That sometimes you just want to Lie on the couch Drink wine Eat peanuts And not be fucking Taught something Right a Bit early for that a42 Apologies for any uh, Morning call <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> yeah. What an intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's it gone, Carl? Not too bad. How's the
7: coffee?
4: Um, th- yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have <laughs> uh, walked you. across the screen, but uh, I, I am. I have to say, I, I really would struggle to start a day without it. It, 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 it gave us a great lift.
7: Yeah, gave us a great lift. Yeah, What's going amazing. on with you? Not much now. Not much. Um, big game tonight, obviously. Looking forward to it. Might, might try and head along. Um, really looking forward to it actually because mm. I, I know the crowd is going to be a little bit smaller I think they're expecting around 30,000 tonight but there's generally a real air of optimism isn't there around the Irish team now
4: like these friendlies in fairness the Nations League obviously is a great way of avoiding friendlies as much as possible and making um, you know making, making games against uh, similar opposition compelling and relevant but uh, you know friendlies can still be a hard sell it just so happens that Ireland is not a hard sell at the moment Yeah. and I thought I don't know what you meant on Saturday but like it, to come back twice and everyone leaving
7: with a smile on their face, you yeah. can't take that for granted. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, a, as I say, a great air of optimism surrounding the team and the whole project now. And obviously the Stephen Kenny situation is sorted now, so there's a sense of security. I know there's going to be probably a couple of changes tonight, but you still get the sense that they, A, really want to win the game, and B, want to keep some sense of continuity with the general structure of the team, you would think.
4: I, I was thinking this as well, just briefly. Like, when McGoldrick retired... The, the stretch of goals, McGoldrick's goal-scoring goal record for Ireland was was really, really poor. Um, so we went through a spell of, I don't know, like how many games where our strikers barely scored at all and we were relying on, um, basically, centre-backs to get us goals. It's now become normal that like our forward players actually score goals and like Robinson and Ogbeni have scored have been incredibly prolific by Ireland standards. Yeah. And we've almost, like, not noticed that. Oh, actually, our strikers strikers are scoring again. What's going on? Like, Benny is trying an overhead kick. Imagine doing that under previous regimes.
3: (laughs) But, like, yeah. I mean, i am sure they would have tried it. There's a point there. uh, James says, didn't Keane get a good tune out of the Ireland midfield at Euro 2016? I do think there's a lot of revisionism that goes on Mm. about O'Neill and Keane. They got a team out of the groups, out of the group at a... Uh, a yeah. major tournament like you yeah. know we haven't done that very often in our entire just, just, football history just happened history. to play an Italian team who didn't care ok ok
4: but they were in the group they, they, like You can't judge anything about that That time as no, being successful. Sorry. It was awful. No. Everything about it we was We got terrible. out
3: of a group at a major yeah.
4: tournament. Yeah, we beat Italy, who were basically not off oh, a yeah, yard we by racing parlance. Wow. We, 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 and we celebrated no. beating a, a second string, not off a yard Italian team as if this was great. That's how low we stooped. And fair enough, we qualified. But like, We beat Italy please. in a major tournament. Yeah, whatever. Didn't care. Didn't care. Like, Italy, Italy, we lost in North Macedonia when they did care. We still Celebrate qualified for group. in the group.
3: Like, I mean, and what happened after that, like? Yeah, uh, we no. we went one 0 up against France and lost in France yeah, yeah. and
4: lost. And then what happened after that? We completely derailed into. Okay, we did, deep. we
3: did, but like
4: that's like saying we shouldn't. With the and they were on two and a half million together a year or something like that. Whatever. Like Stephen Kenny's on like what one fifth of that. Um, and and there were these all Trapattoni was on a bunch of yeah money. get get these big names in and just qualify at, at Sorry, all costs. Are you saying forward. the midfield
3: didn't play well in 2016 at the Euros? That 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 trio of uh, McCarthy. Uh Hendrick and Robbie Brady didn't play well. No together.
4: no in fairness and they were
3: they were probably so and they no, went downhill no credit, after that. No credit goes to anybody for that.
4: They were but there was no coaching. Like they were, these well, players well, weren't how coached. Did they
3: how did they, they were decent like players, well.
4: like. They were actually decent players who should have functioned better. What happened to us after that? Why did we why did our midfielders run away from the ball
3: for four years or whatever it was? Well, they weren't running away from the ball in the Euros. Mm.
7: 846, give us your views. Uh Carl, what else is going on? Well, busy afternoon and evening ahead for a number of Republic of Ireland teams. Obviously, the senior team playing against uh, Lithuania tonight. That game kicks off at 7.45 at the Aviva Stadium. The under-21 men's side have an important game as well as they look to reach the European Championships. They take on the Group F leader Sweden this evening from 5 o'clock. That's an away fixture. And the group's other qualification contenders also meet tonight. Italy take on Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, this evening as well. The under-19s will look to finish elite qualifying for this summer's Euros on a high note following defeats to England. And Portugal, they face Armenia. That game is at St. George's Park from half seven. And the men's under-17 side also in action as well. They complete their elite qualifying phase against Bulgaria and Portugal from three. The women's under-17 side play their final qualifying group game against Iceland. That game's in Tala from 12 noon. And a win there, coupled with the Slovakia victory over Finland, could see Ireland qualify for the finals in Bosnia and Herzegovina. But that group uh, is very, very tight. Elsewhere on the European front uh, this evening and on the international front, two more European plays is at the World Cup finals will be decided after a shocking Italy last Thursday. North Macedonia are in Porto for a meeting with Portugal and in the evening's other game, Poland take on Sweden for a place. Uh, in next week's draw. Uh, to rugby, Ireland captain Johnny Sexton looks set to return to the Leinster team. That's to face Munster in the United Rugby Championship on Saturday. He trained with the province yesterday. So too did his Ireland teammates Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose, Thayg Furlong and Jack Conan. Hooker Ronan Kelleher has also stepped up his recovery from injury by returning to the pitch while Locke James Ryan is going through the return to play protocols. Uh, to Gaelic Games 2017, All-Ireland winners Adrian Tuohy and Niall Burke have been left out of the Galway hurling panel ahead of the Championship. There's also no play in the 34-man squad for Sean Loftus. Lee Chin has emerged as a doubt meanwhile for Wexford ahead of their Leinster Championship opener against Galway after reportedly suffering a reoccurrence of a hamstring injury in their loss to Waterford last weekend. Dublin GA meanwhile say they'll continue to use Crow Park for their home fixtures in the Allianz National Football League next season. There had been speculation that Desi Farrell's side could switch their home venue to Parnell Park following their relegation to Division 2. And finally in racing today 7 race card at Navon. First off there at a quarter past two.
3: Johnny, you're celebrating a two-all draw against the second-string Belgium team, says Bry. MJ says, yet Johnny is celebrating drawing with the second-string Belgium side and friendly. What's this vendetta against Roy about? And Mark says, did we not get to the playoff of the 2018 World Cup Beating Wales in Cardiff to get there. Oh, if if, yes. any, if
4: anyone wants to celebrate that game,
3: I, yes. I never want to talk to him or yes. her about football again. Like, let me just finish this. Yes, the Danes <laughs> trashed us, but to say it derailed immediately
4: after the Euros is not correct. No, it didn't. It didn't. And again, there is probably revisionism going on here for me. But like, I hadn't. In, I haven't enjoyed watching Ireland by and large since two thousand and two. That era, um, and we, we got, played well at the Euros. like, like we yeah, yeah well In fairness, it. in fairness, that that wasn't bad. That was and the French performance was good, and things went against us a bit, and that was the high point. Of that regime, but it really, really soured, and ultimately the players weren't coached. That's why Doherty and others would have had a pop at them. And now look at Stephen Kenny bringing Hendrick to a similar level, despite the fact they've no relationship. And Hendrick's club form has been patchy, and he's like Robinson playing better than he has for a long time. And just telling these players, yeah, you can actually pass the ball. Like we were, we were horrifically bad to watch. We were horrifically bad to watch by the end of that that regime, and and ultimately
3: ended up in them getting sacked. Uh, didn't they get sacked after the they didn't get sacked after the nil all draw against Denmark. The but not the five one. No, that, it was the nil all draw in the Nations
4: League was the last after one. After that, yeah. Yeah, when, I no, mean, when actually Obafemi made his debut. It would have been a, a, That right. was one of the worst games of football ever and there were a lot of
3: them. It would have been fine if they'd left at that point, I think. I think they The five one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would yeah. have been a kind of look, we we did everything we could. And Christian Erickson was unplayable that night. He was absolutely sensational. Uh when we were one 0 up we were one nil up, weren't we? Yeah, we were very early. We scored yeah. too early. Yeah, we did. Um, but to be to be
4: fair, could have gone either way. But to, for that, to be fair to the managers, I'm not entirely blaming them because they had to like get us qualified for the next tournament. We really need the money. No and Martin job, O'Neill, yeah. if Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane decided that the best way of getting Ireland to achieve results was to play like that, they may well have been right. Stephen Kenny has been afforded the time to make these changes along the way and to bring in inculcate a different kind of system that maybe other managers didn't have. And he, in fairness, he does have. The that over them where he's like he's going to get a fairly long reign at this and he's he's given a long time I mean we are a long time to get our first win and that was against Andorra. so there is that as well but I, I think we're actually becoming watchable now
3: uh, Donald says we beat Italy Germany Austria Bosnia and Wales all in competitive games mm. under Martin O'Neill it wasn't always great but let's not revise things completely and say it was terrible always the Austria game away I thought that was actually
4: very good that was a really and like a lovely goal as well that was like we just didn't do enough of that um, and it became sour at the end all right. but ultimately we didn't we, we didn't play football you know and yeah, hopefully there's a joint only, up only in patches no
3: now. I, it feels definitely that we're uh, we're, we're improving slowly Call, good stuff thanks, thanks a, a lot. lot you can read more from Call across the day on otbsports.com and a reminder OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day now to the Women's Champions League and I'm delighted to say Emma Byrne is with us live from Barcelona this morning Emma good morning to you how are you
0: Good morning.
3: How are you? If, uh, <laughs> All good. We're like watching a gog at how the uh, Camp Nou is sold out for the second leg of the Classic O in the Champions League and kind of really beginning to understand that the movement in Ireland to get behind the women's team and for the growth of the women's football in particular has actually been a global movement. That's the whole point here is that we're plugged into something that everybody can see is happening worldwide. But I think probably in Ireland, not many people are fully aware of the fact that the Camp Nou is sold out tonight.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, and you're right. Women's football is is it is a very global sport, and it is improving all around the world. But I have to say that here in in Spain, well, in Barcelona in particular, not not the whole of Spain, that um, it's just become huge. It's a massive thing, and I think the the sellout is is a good example of that. It just proves. You know how much they're behind the women's team here at Barça, and and how much the club do f- for the women's team. Why do you think it? Uh, uh, uh,
3: like so, obviously tonight is is the culmination in, in decisions that were made a while back. But can you talk to us a bit about that? Why did that happen? What what what's kind of been behind the surge in support for the team, and also just the quality of football that they're playing? How did that happen?
0: Um, well, it started a long time ago. They they have. A, um, ethos in the club that is you know it goes from the men's team all the way down to the the five six-year-olds uh, and the women's team have been included in that and um all of their the way they train the way they they work the way they live eat sleep it, it's the same kind of uh, method the same regime as the men's team and you know watching them train on the pitch it's very very technical, specific, and um, it's all about training with the ball. It's all about being comfortable on the ball and all about it's the same with the men's, the passing, the short passing, the, the tiki-taka, the, the counter pressing. It's very important that for them that they win the ball back very quickly and they've been working on that a lot. And, you know, I played against Barca in the Champions League a very long time ago and we absolutely hammered them. And it's just because they weren't able to compete physically. Um, But you could see they were very good players. But when it came to Champions League football, you have to be very, very strong and very good defensively and I know they've worked on that a lot throughout the years and they've become very very good at it um, and yeah and for them it's just about winning the ball back higher up the pitch with their, which they're very very good at and, um, and and basically punishing teams when they can because like the men sometimes they play too much but now they're very very direct and 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 really good to watch
3: and with that the the fans have showed up in big numbers
0: absolutely i mean barça has a massive fan base anyway and the men's club have have integrated the women's into the club with their social media they they've done everything very professional in regards to um you know advertising the women's game they're all they're in the museum you know you can wherever you can see men's football at barça you can see women's and um it's the same with every sport across Barca by the way it's not just women's football it's handball it's basketball um, but you can see it it's more notable in the women's football because of uh, the fan base and because of the the hordes of people that want to go and watch
4: That's kind of a big that's kind of a big thing for the game as well isn't it Emma you see League of Ireland Twitter accounts as well where there's no differentiation anymore and now now Bo's team plays on Saturday, a lot of people go along to the game, you see a lot of the same people that go to Daly Mountain on Friday nights like Rovers, their, their team now starting off in the League of Ireland, Twitter account just treats everything as the same thing and it's becoming like uh, almost a big family from which like both the men and the women can benefit
0: Yeah, absolutely and and that comes from within the clubs and their drive and how they uh, publicise their teams and a lot of teams are are, are now um having the same twitter account and things like that for me i think it's still better the separate twitter accounts be, and you can bring them together some stages but barça have um have done that really really well and they also have the the barça tv which is you know an in-house uh, production company which is a massive thing and they um they also promote the team very very well yeah,
3: you're commentating for the, sorry, the game tomorrow night I should specify in case anybody's going looking for their TV listings tonight to try and see it um, you're working with Barca TV so they obviously have an English language version or else you're doing it in Spanish and that's even more impressive <laughs>
0: No, unfortunately, Catalan, I'm not there. Actually, yeah. I'm not there yet with my Spanish or my Catalan, <laughs> by the way. They speak Catalan here more than Spanish. Um, no, I, I am doing the, the English version, um, thankfully, because that would just be too stressful for me otherwise. Uh, yeah, and uh, it, it's really nice. It's it's really nice to, to work with the club in general because they do treat everybody... Um, extremely well and you do get the sense of a, a family kind of community once you're you're part of the club, you're part of the big picture so to speak so, and um, yeah, it's been great. They're totally set
3: up for a period of success then it sounds like the academy system is funneling world class players through to the, the senior team and there seems to be a gap at the moment for a, a preeminent team in women's European football after for a long time it would have been Lyon everybody would have said oh well they're going to win the Champions League for forever but actually sport is cyclical and it seems like it's Barca's turn
0: yeah it really does it really feels like that and you know watching the the other games in the Champions League I do believe that Barca are, are the best team in it and you know they don't stop they don't stop improving which I think is very important because You know they won the Champions League, which was fantastic. A lot of teams stayed together after that, and the bulk of them did. But the players that they've added after winning the Champions League has been massive as well, and they're just getting stronger and stronger. And um, they do, they look unbeatable. I mean, Real Madrid did very, very well against them, but you're talking about playing against Barca when maybe they're at their worst day, and hopefully you're at your best, and you're just basically defend and so it, you know they're very very hard to beat um, I do think Real Madrid did very very well but I don't think they're going to have a chance tomorrow
3: um, The uh, the other games that are, are still on so Juve are ahead of Leon 2-1 uh, on aggregate after the first leg um, Arsenal and Wolfsburg play their second leg uh, I think on Thursday as well uh, what's the story with Arsenal at the moment are they realistic contenders to win this thing or would would it take a bit of a miracle for them to, if they get through this, to say to beat a, a team as good as Barcelona at the moment?
0: Um, I don't think it'd be like a miracle. I think that they'd have to be playing very, very well, and I think they'd have to have a lot of things to go right for them. But I do. I have seen a, a massive change with Arsenal as well. They're a very, very good team. They seem to be knitting together much more, and um, they've added Blackstenius, who's a fantastic signing for them. What I believe was something that they were lacking, that out-and-out out number nine. And watching them play recently, I think they definitely can do it. But I do think it's going to be a, a very big ask of them to beat Barca at this stage. And, you know, Barca, they seem to have played their poorer um, performances of recent, and that's when they're most dangerous. And you really don't want to be going into that game when they're they're fired up and, and needing to prove something. So if Arsenal do manage to to beat Wolfsburg, which I I think they will, um, I think it's going to be a fantastic game in the semi-finals. Um, you know they'll be playing Barca for sure. Barca will win tomorrow night, and um, I think they can do it. But it's there's going to be a lot of factors going into that game for them to do it.
3: It would be really interesting to see exactly what would uh, happen with Arsenal. So for people who might not have been following the, the WSL week on week, they're just a point behind Chelsea at the top of the table. There's an incredible title race unfolding there. And in the midst of that, there'll be hopefully two legs against Barcelona as well. So no better time for everybody to be focused when the football is getting incredibly good and incredibly tense.
0: Yeah, it is the best time of the season, um, and, and especially now because it is, it, it's a great title run in the UK. Uh, Barca have, have run away with the league. They won the league a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. They had something like 11 games left and they'd won the league. Um, but for, for Arsenal, that could be another factor for them. The fact is they have to fight for the league um, in England and and that's a massive task for them as well and for them to have to try to utilise players and to try and keep players fit for the for the semi-finals hopefully they'll get there um, will be something that um, they'll have to manage and that'll be difficult because they do have a massive battle in England at the moment What do you think is going to happen? I think what do I think is going to happen? Um... I think Arsenal can win the league. I do. I think they can win it. I I do think Chelsea are 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 liable to drop some points, so they have to. You know, Arsenal have to fight right till the end. Um, I do think Arsenal will get to the semi-finals. I'm hoping they do. And. I think it's going to be an extremely difficult game but I do think Barca will beat them unfortunately for
3: Arsenal. Well, it'll be two good legs to watch and and a good opportunity for us all to kind of test and see exactly where Arsenal are and where the the WSL is versus um, this great Barca team. I did want to talk to you a little bit about um, the Ireland team at the moment. This Sweden game is, is, it was kind of, it's been looming large for months and months and months and months and now we're two weeks away from it and um, I think There's a a bit of trepidation, obviously, because of the result the first time that they played, but the importance of us seeing progress and the team not taking a step back. like It doesn't feel like they're going to take a step back, and it feels like the progress has been there, and it feels like so many of them are actually, of the team themselves, are playing good football on teams that are either coming out the right side of of, um, difficulties or are just coming into a sweet spot in their career. That's kind of from the outside. You're obviously much more connected to it. What's your feeling about how the team as individuals are progressing at the moment and what's your expectation for how well we're going to go against Sweden?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, it, it's looking good for, I'm optimistic about the Irish team. You can see an improvement. There was definitely a stage, a transitional stage and it's difficult for a manager to come in and, and, to, to put her stamp on on the team, and she said it Vera said it herself she doesn't have uh, a great amount of time with the team it 's not like club football that you get to work with them every day, so that's been difficult, but you can definitely see a change in it. I think they are playing more attacking football. I think it's a really good moment for certain players like katie McCabe um like denise o'Sullivan um i think it's it 's really nice to see a lot of them playing in the the Women's Super League in England, um, and I, I, I do think it's a really good time. I think Sweden are an, an exceptional team, and they're very much in form, and they've players that are, are really, um, uh, you know, hitting the, the high levels at the moment. So I think it's going to be an extremely difficult game. Um, but in general, as far as qualification goes, I do think we can do it. We a couple of slip-ups there last year, but there's no reason why they can't get. Our result in Sweden, I think they're good enough uh, to get a point at least. And then it's about the rest of the games in the campaign and keeping everybody fit and, 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 yeah, just just pushing forward and getting, you know, three points in every game after this one. We
3: haven't quite bottomed out about who is going to be our, our number one goalkeeper into the future. There's, uh, you know, a bit of competition there. Uh, so it's Maloney, Waltz, and Brosnan in, in the race at the moment for the number one jersey.
0: Uh, yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, for me, it's very important to have a goalkeeper uh, for the national team who's playing regularly for for their club. And it doesn't really matter what level that's at. As long as they're playing, they're getting lots of minutes. And and it's a struggle for the goalkeepers at the moment. Grace Maloney's uh, been playing very, very well. And she's, you know, Reading's number one and she's very consistent. Um, however, I was very excited to see that Walsh had, had come over from the dark side <laughs> um, she's a fantastic goalkeeper and um, I think she's done really really well when she's come in so, so Vera Pau does, does have some decisions to make um, but I, again it's just to reiterate they have to be playing football they have to be getting regular games yeah. and, and that's very very important
4: It's interesting you say that it doesn't really matter what level they're at so you think Bazunu over Kelleher in terms of the paths that they're going on
0: yeah, I mean, well, no, I, I do like, I do like both of them, and Keller's been playing really, really well. Um, but for me, uh, goalkeeping is about you as an individual, and not so much about the the opposition or, or the level that you're playing at. As long as you're you're training well, you're and the minutes are that you're getting. I mean, not like when I was playing at Arsenal, I, I had nothing to do. <laughs> um, But you're busy and active and and you're putting all the training into the the games and... You know, making the right decisions because that's very important. If you're not playing, you don't get a chance to to put that to the test. You don't make the right decisions. Get to make the right decisions. You don't have that reaction time, and it doesn't matter how much you train because it's very, very important to be able to go and make those decisions uh, on the on the pitch. And the only way to do that is is through game, playing time. What about the respective time.
4: quality of your coaching, though? Then,
0: well, that's very important. That's that's without talking about playing or anything like that um your goalkeeping coach is is your god and you know it's really important and and I can definitely speak to that because I've had goalkeeping coaches who weren't good enough and lots of problems with and and it was one of the reasons why I stayed at Arsenal for so long is because I had a, an excellent goalkeeping coach that became everything to me and I depended on him a lot so yeah for me it's the most important thing.
3: That's interesting cuz like um Creven Keller is obviously getting incredible levels of coaching and you know he's seeing firsthand what the second or third best goalkeeper in the world is like uh, Bazunu had that and is now away from that but is playing week in week out and I guess can tap back into it like if he felt he wasn't getting everything he needs on a day-to-day basis at Portsmouth he could just rock up to Man City and say I have this thing I need to work on and maybe has a bit of the best of both worlds
0: yeah absolutely and if, if he doesn't feel like he's getting what he wants at Portsmouth he, he will change that you know it's so important to have that and it's very important to also know what kind of club you're going into and know the goalkeeping coaches that you're going to be working with it's a massive decision and it definitely would have been a part of his decision in when he was going there um but yeah like man city are very open to that as well they 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 have the facilities, they have the coaches, and he could definitely go back there if he wanted. But I wouldn't say he would. I'd say he's happy enough. Otherwise, he'd have to have to change that fairly quickly. Just on
4: that as well, I I remember speaking to a goalkeeper in the League of Ireland who he wasn't particularly enamoured with his goalkeeping coach and I guess what's that like Emma so you've two or three goalkeepers you've one goalkeeping coach and fair enough you mean if you're an outfield player and you don't get on with the manager you can kind of hide and you know get on with it whatever but like if there are only two or three goalkeepers and you don't get on with the goalkeeping coach ugh, well, where do I go from here
0: yeah um it's difficult if you're not the first choice because then you, you can't really rock up to the manager and tell them that you're not happy with the coach because you're not really the priority, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but if you are second or third choice, then it's just about you know getting through the sessions and getting as much as you can from it. It's really difficult mentally to do that. Um but if it were me and I wasn't happy with my goalkeeping coach and I knew nothing was gonna change, I'd be looking to leave for sure. Or I'd definitely begin my coaching elsewhere, which is what I did at Arsenal. I used to, I had to go to Hale End, which is where the boys train. So I was actually going outside of my training to get wow. goalkeeping coaching. Wow.
3: Yeah. Um I, I- apart from your uh, burgeoning media career are you involved in in football on a day-to-day basis as a coach or at that level
0: um not at the moment because i'm i'm teaching as well so i i literally don't have any time but um i am planning on doing my a li- i did start my a license but i'm planning on to on going back to it um and i coach um for not Barca directly, but sometimes teams come in and they want coaching sessions and I would coach for some of the players, some of their camps and things like that. We're also thinking about starting an academy here in Barcelona. So I think um, in respect to my, my time in coaching I think there's going to be a lot more of that in the future,
4: would you, would you so do you aspire to be a goalkeeping coach at like women's level, or do you aspire to be a goalkeeping coach at any level, or do you aspire to be just a coach?
0: Um, well, coach first, um, you have to do all your badges, and I enjoy coaching outfield players, and then goalkeeping would be my expertise, <laughs> um, and I really wouldn't. I'd I'd actually love to go into coaching um, boys and, and men's teams but also uh, women's as well it really wouldn't bother me it doesn't bother me what um, who I coach um, but in general at the beginning it will be to try to improve the level of goalkeeping coaching here in Spain first of all and then see what That's happens
3: yeah. it's such a terrible part of the world to live in as well what with all the amazing oh, food yeah. architecture do. weather does Spain
0: have amazing no. food
3: Oh, uh, Barcelona has some of the best <laughs> yeah. things in the world. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> Barcelona's not really Spain. yeah that's Barcelona's that's not Spain a good though. thing.
0: It's yeah. not always a good thing. Oh, <laughs> 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 you talk about the weather. It's been hotter in Ireland than here. And I'm getting really, I'm getting annoyed with everyone texting me and, and <laughs> flagging me off.
4: I'm going to the south of France on Thursday, Emma, and I looked up the um, temperatures on Sunday and it just like, everything went grey for the south of France for the four <laughs> days in there. And it was much colder than it was in Ireland as I was looking on my phone. I was like, what?
0: I know, I know. I split my time between Manchester and Barcelona and usually I'm um, in all my glory texting about, you know, Lovely weather and all. I've been here for three weeks now, and it's rained every single day, wow. every day. And <laughs> but it's that's start- it for the year,
3: though. That's yeah. it. That's it. Well,
0: yeah, it's starting to get a bit nice now, and I and I'm leaving tomorrow uh, Thursday. So yeah. beautiful,
3: great to have you with us again, Emma. Thanks a million. Cheers.
0: <laughs> Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you.
3: Uh, Emma Byrne, there, uh, Republic of Ireland goalkeeping legend. Go- so go- goalkeepers, in terms of uh, goalkeepers, uh, see they
4: kind of see everything. So I wonder, does that make them like? Um, a better coach or do outfield players who are coached by somebody who's been a goalkeeper think well you didn't play outfield I mean can you be can you be really telling me how to do an interchange in midfield so it's interesting that she's like I guess she does want to eventually become a goalkeeping coach but first of all she has to start with the general
3: Yeah uh, Nuno is the most recent goalkeeper mm. who has made it to elite level right I mean Dino's Off is probably
4: the iconic one
3: it, not that many when you think about it Dino's um, well, right, Off the coach in he
4: was coach um, subsequently anyway but yeah. years would would we had dean Kylie on OTBM last year it was i thought it was really interesting <laughs> he's because, a clever guy yeah and um, but did you know what struck me about him as well he's just a good bloke and he I, is. Think, I think the he thing is. with kenny is that he likes the, to have good people around yeah and, and obviously that's a cliche now but it's really really important and uh, i don't know the the the, the goalkeeper coach interests me because it's like how how much can you tell someone every day in training about being a goalkeeper as much as okay we're playing a team A at the weekend we, we have to pass the ball out less from the back or whatever but how can you keep it fresh and also like as a goalkeeping coach when you were a goalkeeper you didn't pass the ball out from the back You got, so you have to no. tell Creeving Keller or no, you, how to do little one-twos or, or make shape to, to get the ball yeah. and you have to learn and, and
3: evolve yourself yeah. so is it interesting well didn't, they've got Taffer Allen as their coach at Liverpool mm. um, Spain and food what? Are you joking me? Like... Spanish cuisine. Amazing. Such as? Uh, Well, their meats, their cheeses, their stews. Like... Mm. Have you ever been to San Sebastian or the Basque? I mean, I'd love to go to the Basque. Okay, okay. well, more more, in Spain though. More Michelin star. uh, It uh, geographically when they would see themselves as Basques though. Okay, grant. As with the Catalans. When I I talk about Spanish cuisine, I talk about you get on a plane and it's the Spanish uh, uh, passport people who are waving you through because you're from the EU. Those people anywhere, any of those airports. (laughs) (laughs) So you you put Spanish cuisine ahead of like French and Italian. Miles and well, so Italy first, Italy first, Spain second. And then after that, have whatever French having, behind. Yeah, well behind. That's a that's a terrible call. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, MOC says Louis van Gaal couldn't even get Holland to a World Cup in 2002 with all those superstars. That's because he came up against Roy Keane. This whole conversation has gone full circle, and we're finished it now. I remember uh, his tackle on Overmars? which was basically a red card. It was about forty. It was not a red card. It was. He won the
4: ball. He <laughs> certainly did not. He did. Talk about the proverbial setting the tone. Oh my God! Has has Lansdowne Road ever been as noisy for a football game since? No, that was that really not. That was uh, the best Lansdowne Road experience Yeah, it was I all going to fall apart as as the handshake with Mick and Roy. I thought Mick was great on on. Back time for to bring
3: around the twentieth and twentieth anniversary yeah. of Saipan um, It is.
4: I, people have been on to me about. Um, I want to do peace in this. Want to do peace in this? Will he talk? Uh, it's still. It's still. I mean, Miguel Delaney saying last week about Keane wanted to bring. Was it this kind of. This coach slash motivational guy or fitness guru or whatever, and Mick apparently turned it down. Uh, Even twenty years later, we're finding out new things, and it was—I thought it was compelling.
3: Uh, So you—you will read the twentieth anniversary pieces? Oh yeah. Oh, will you? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. uh, uh, Are you you just tired of it? Well, I think I think lockdown—we did a lot of kind of yeah—and so therefore that didn't pique the interest as much as I thought it would. I was like, actually. I've literally been talking about this for twenty years. Yeah,
4: I've had enough. God, it was—it was. It was there were crazy times. I—I'm kind of coming more around to Roy Keane's way of looking at it. The more I was sort of 50-50 on it for years. But, do you know what I mean? Like, I—I <laughs> no, I I still, I I still don't think don't mean. walk out in the team. Do you know? But what he got I mean? sent home, so he did. He had no choice. although
3: we kind of—I mean, made, he could have he made his grave there. To be he, fair, he, okay. Fifteen minutes yeah. past nine. Uh, really, you know, we're, we're going to solve it this morning. Really, the getting side <laughs> uh, We're going to take a quick break. We're back after these with Will Callahan OTB. Oh, you got a trophy on Strava, did you? Oh, okay, all right. Uh, Will O'Connor, oh, good morning no. to you. I said you? that,
4: that's not, that's not fair. not what's That's not
3: fair. I was also putting it morning. down morning, the Morning, you? Will. Morning, like, derp. that's it. You oh, can't. Will, that's on. Will, no, no,
4: no, right, we had a conversation on. off no, air, which no. he then... <laughs> um, how are you, Will? Yeah, you can
1: follow I Johnny on Strava if you ha- want. I, ha- I have little, little to say, say on, Johnny. what's I- the I- achievement? I- there's, no, there's
4: no achievement, and I'm not talking to Jeremy more about bike-related issues. <laughs> um, by the way, global warming and all that, but cycling in that weather yesterday, 15 degrees in March. Um, Will, I was taken by your tweet at the weekend about a, a kind of an online GA type service. Uh, got a lot of likes. Uh, LOITV has obviously been extremely successful. You seem to get a lot of, yes, this should happen, TV isn't good enough.
1: Yeah, look, you get a few people who are going to say financially this could be difficult to implement, but I think it will be that tricky to do, really. I'm surprised the GA haven't done so already. Like, the very basic model you're looking for here is the opportunity to be able to watch games on demand after they've already taken place. For an expansion of streaming for fixtures that aren't going to be shown on free-to-air, like not for a moment would I suggest that TG Carr or T shouldn't be showing games free-to-air. I think that's mm. crucial for the GA to actually get their message out there but at the same time there's plenty more action that's taken place It doesn't exactly get the spotlight on it which potentially if we were to take the model that was already used as you mentioned by League of Ireland TV which is fantastic when you could buy the season pass I still bemoan the fact that the season pass is now gone I understand the clubs had concerns and similarly in the GA about getting people through the turnstiles which meant that streaming was kind of left at the end of the pandemic a little bit but I think for people who just have a more general interest in catching games catching stories being able to casually watch matches and maybe look back at them a lot has been lost by the streaming services not being available right now and i think with the ga they've got like an incredible potential archive there if they were to curate it properly Mm. you could go back and watch classic matches you could have a midweek magazine show this is something that should be driven by the ga themselves through youtube and their website and i genuinely believe that there would be a subscription base that would come in to offset the costs on it as well
3: I'm fairly sure they're looking into all that stuff to be honest and it's like one of those things that will be a byproduct Uh, it's imminent there's small difficulties I think they have to work out with the individual county boards because the county boards had been generating income from streaming and there was a bit of pushback about um, those games not being on TV when they had the opportunity to put them on TV they would put them behind a paywall because it was going to generate more money from them so once all that is worked out you will start seeing I suspect um, a proper online service housed in uh, Croke Park and run by the the GAA I'm fairly sure that's coming let's get on to events on the pitch because the Hurling Pod is back this week I just want to this bit in particular Debbie Fitz in the paper today saying Austin Gleeson needs to wise up a little bit uh, the 2016 Hurler of the Year he's going to miss as it stands Saturday's National League Final against Cork obviously they're going to appeal but uh, James Gale and Paul Murphy have little sympathy for him
4: it's not going to change Liam Cale from picking Austin Gleeson of course not but like for, for Liam Cal there now he's kind of looking going
8: is like is this fella capable of doing it now in All-Ireland semi-final and it's it's definitely something you could see um, you know the cameras cut to, to Cal on the sideline you could see he was there going he was just so
4: annoyed with it like, and they were hammering Wexford at this stage but he you could just see the reaction of him going. What was that for? No more than the rest of us. You know, everybody else was thinking the same thing. Like you said, completely needless in the situation. He could—he have, could have said something to him. He could have told Simon Dunner who looked at the scoreboard. He could have told anything. The fact he bought it is just—I think it's just disappointing from from a Watford point of view that you know there was nothing else on the line here now. And now he's not in the league final. It's ju- mm-hmm. its a very disappointing from 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 Watford angle.
1: Is there any issue, lads, with the way that Donahue went down? I mean, like the amount of force for anyone who's got a flick in that kind of region before sometimes the flick is worse than a a full-on hit anyway He hits the ground, but it seemed to give him some credit He tried his best to not get Ozzie Gleeson sent off when uh, the referee, John Keenan, came over to produce the red card after speaking to the umpire Some people have accused him of taking a dive or going down softly to get him sent off I'll give it to you first, James What did you make of the incident?
8: Well, I'm just assessing the context So, the context is that Simon Dunhu is getting a a large amount of points at the moment and saying Ozzy Gleason's up. Ozzy Gleason does does the action, does the intent, and Simon Dunhu goes down. Fair enough, you can say he went down softly. But if you're a person and you're looking to blame Simon Dunhu first as opposed to blame Ozzy Gleason, I have an issue with that. Like, that's not, like, granted, yeah, you can say it's a bit soft and he should have stood up and he probably didn't connect, you know, perfectly and probably grazed off his thigh. So be it. Fair enough. Can we say Simon Dunhu should have stood up? Probably should have, yeah. But then I would take more focus and put it on Ozzy and say, the, like the, the the action by Ozzy was worse than the action by Simon Dunno. And, I, I, and again, as, as I repeat, if you're looking at Simon do and trying to attribute blame to him, you, you need to look at yourself then after that because, like, the damage that Ozzy does to his team, you know, is far greater than what Simon does to his team. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it just shouldn't have happened, you know, and especially in that position. And Paul is 100% right. If you're 19 points out, turn around, laugh at him, and point to the scoreboard and jog on. Get out of there you know, move on then for for seven days' time. Don't be getting involved in these needless, needless antics for, especially with the so many cameras and eyes and everything on you, you just, you don't get away with it. Like, if you want to hit him a good jostle, fair enough, like, you probably won't get a red card for that. But Jesus, get, get, get your ass out of town and get ready for the next ball. Simple as that.
4: Um, that, that kind of region was the
1: the terminology that I took from that piece, um, which I thought was quite nicely put, Well, Yeah. Like <laughs> just such, such a moment of madness, though, as well, Johnny, mm. when you think about it. Daft. Like, and it would raise questions about Austin Gleeson's mentality when it comes to big moments like that because Mm -hmm. Simon Dunne who pushes him into the hoardings at Nolan Park and that's the genesis of the incident that takes place but still you look up at the scoreboard you're five goals ahead a few minutes left in the game should be getting ready for a league final at Hurlis this weekend and Aussie Gleeson decides to have a flick back I think it's very unlikely if Waterford do decide to pursue an appeal that they would win it which means they're going to be without some crucial players for that league final this weekend because Stephen Bennett is still injured and Jamie Barnes not going to be back in time Conor Prunty is still out but Liam Cahill has developed this panel where guys have been able to just plug in and play and fit into the system and they have shown so far that they probably have the deepest panel in the country I just wonder if it might come back to haunt them slightly when it comes to the Tipperary game in a few weeks time in the championship
3: Uh, sorry why do you think it's going to have an impact on the tip game
1: Um, I think because well to two elements. I think there's going to be a kickback in Tipperary after their defeat against uh, Waterford at Walsh Park. I think Tipperary will not be as open as some of the teams that Waterford have played in recent weeks. It's remarkable that they scored 18 goals in six games in the National Hurling League this year. They were helped a lot by uh, the way Wexford left open spaces in their defence last weekend in Nolan Park. But I think you need those key players to come back in if you're Waterford for the Tipperary game because it's going to be a step up in intensity when it comes around to that fixture on the 16th of April and it's difficult for any team to be without three or four kind of nailed on starters I think maybe you know again Park Manny who's coming back in is maybe going to have to have a role from the bench this year but definitely they would want to have Prunty, Calem Lyons back into the team I think that you definitely want to have Stephen Bennett starting as your free taker and key scorer and then we'll see what happens about Austin Gleeson he'll probably come straight back into the team for the Tipperary game but he's going to be watching from the Sands at Semple Stadium this weekend, I think, uh, when they go up against a very good Cork team.
3: Yeah, Cork are pretty good. Um, I Austin Gleeson has a little bit of that in his game right and if you remember uh, Wayne Rooney would have had something similar where occasionally he would get sent off and and now it turned out Wayne Rooney had anger issues that he has now spoken about that were connected to all sorts of different things uh, in his life Um, but if if Gleeson the the notion that Gleeson needs to play on that edge to still be hurler of the year uh, candidate I don't really buy that I think that like I think that they need to get their hands around it and um, and uh, and take it from there you know
1: Nah, like look, Jared. This uh, stage he's got what six, seven championship years behind him since his breakthrough year in 2016. Can you change There's that? Still, yeah, I, you can. I, yeah, I think yeah, maturity can change. But at the same time, if he does something like that, he's 26,
4: it, 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 made, it makes no sense. Like uh, to, it, it, it just it seems like there was a red
1: misreaction that you can't change. I don't know. Will. I, I think you have to show maturity. Like if you're going to help your team out. As Paul said in the clip that we just played, the risk isn't when Ozzy Gleason gets sent off in a situation like the weekend. It's if they have to play against a Kilkenny or a Galway in an All Ireland semi final, and next thing players get the feeling that you can get in his head. You yeah. can maybe talk to him, maybe give him a dirty stroke off the ball and see if you can get him a red card. We saw that happen with a few Limerick players earlier on in the league as well. I have no doubt the players are going to be on high alert in the opposition. I don't condone any of that type of behaviour. But if you're going to try and use a bit of gamesmanship, you will know that you can possibly get into Austin Gleeson's head. And it's now up to Aussie Gleeson to hurl the way he did in the first half against Wexford when he banged in two goals and was a creator for another goal as well. Yeah. That's the player he needs to be, not the
3: guy who has to sit in the stands. There's every chance that he will sit there this week and... Be disgusted with himself and use that as motivation to become the hurler of the year again this year. Because it, like it's right there for him, the, the quality of the team that is around him. David in the papers today saying that he thinks they're the ones who are going to put it up to Limerick the most. That they have a, a discernible pattern of play. They have a manager who firmly believes in that group of players who is like wedded to them, and who I suspect are they are equally wedded to him after he turned down Tip in the off season. Like it's a remarkable story, and I feels like we're primed for. Um, an incredible championship how have your power rankings held up Will
1: yeah, look, I think um, there was some scoring early on when I had Waterford and Cork in, I think, second and third position early on in the power rankings, not just on the show itself. People were saying to me, ah, how can you rank them that highly? And look, Waterford were still easily beaten by Limerick in the semifinal last year. And look how easily Limerick beat them in the final the year before. Um, you know, Waterford aren't quite there. But the evidence that we've had in the six league games so far are that exactly what Davy Fitt said. They're hurling to a system which has evolved over the last three years. They've been able to move players around like... I don't think anyone would have expected starting this year that Jack Fagan would be playing at wing back and playing very well at wing back for Waterford. He seemed like he was going to be the ball winner within the half forward line. And just in the last few weeks, even just being able to add in Desi Hutchinson's pace, I couldn't believe that Wexford were as accommodating as they were with the way that they marked at the weekend uh, to leave space in behind for him. We saw like Shane Bennett come on and have a bit of an impact at the weekend too. They've got a real depth about their panel. Now, again, it's probably a case of finding the best 15 and getting some of those injured players back in because this Munster Championship is going to be so difficult to qualify from. But from everything we've seen... Waterford looked like the team who were probably best set up to try and catch Limerick, albeit Limerick will go to Portugal this week, they won't be one bit concerned about what happens in the league final, it's just about them trying to get back to the level that they've been at for the last 3-4 seasons uh, when they come back for the start of championship, because they're going to need to be good when they take on Cork in that first game.
3: Few, a week in Portugal, sitting on the beach. <laughs> be raining,
4: though. <laughs> I'm by my, uh, um, how hard is it for Limerick? Will like I think they there are still odds on, I think, to win the hurling. If I am if I am wrong, uh, fair enough. Um, we've seen with Dublin, you know, the, the cl- sort of collapse with them through the league. Um oh, like the thing with the, I guess the thing that likes of Limerick is with their physicality and with the the levels that they've um, kind of reached. Everyone else is striving to get right up there with them, and they have
1: to almost keep improving themselves. Yeah and that's the thing I've always said I think they need a really good dance partner to keep Limerick mm. motivated and maybe Waterford are going to be that dance partner for them and look they blew Waterford away in the Ireland final two years ago uh, the semi-final last year that was the day with the Hay where everything got delayed and yet Limerick came out of the starting blocks with no real problems and like won that game pretty comfortably it's going to be a case of whether Waterford can get up to that level because I still think that Limerick are going to be the best team when it comes around to this summer they addressed some of the issues that they had early in the league they were trying some players out and maybe John Kiley learned that some of those backup players aren't going to be good enough to start mm. with the exception of O'Neill when the championship comes around and once they get Keane Lynch back in they're going to have to stop the red cards like they got for Galan and Hegarty because as good as this Limerick team is they can't be teams of 14 men but if they can address those issues and get back to the kind of hunger that they've had over the last two or three years Limerick are still the most talented starting 15 uh, that's available in the country i have them at the moment in fourth place in my power rankings we're going to do a massive update next week after the <laughs> league finals but I I think it's It'll be no great surprise If they're still top of the tree When the summer finishes Here, off Here's one for you very briefly Which All-Ireland Championship is more open? Uh, football at the moment I think Like realistically For the hurling I think you're looking at Limerick who are still Considerable favourites Cork, who still have plenty of question marks about them, even after the game against Kilkenny at the weekend. It's a weird one, Johnny, where Kilkenny probably didn't lose a whole lot in defeat because they hurled remarkably well for 52 minutes and actually bossed quite a bit in the first half. And then Cork put the squeeze on their puck out and got over the line at the end of the game but are Kilkenny quite at Limerick's level yet? I mean Tipperary haven't shown maybe they will in a few weeks time when they play Waterford in the championship but they look a bit behind I think the contenders are a little bit further behind in the hurling than it is in football like good luck trying to call a football winner right now where Kerry and Mayo look like they're the two best teams in the country right now can Dublin improve on where they were in the league and Toronto. and then there's yeah. a group of yeah, a group of teams no like Toronto no mention of Galway in like the
4: hurling
3: nah. they're,
1: they're they're third favourites in the bookmakers, mm. the, or sorry, fourth favourites in the bookmakers, which kind of surprised me. And maybe some of that, Johnny, you know more it's about. The than I Lentra, do. Though. It's, it's they're Lentra, third. They're
3: like. third this morning as it stands. They're actually it's, shorter than
4: as well. Is is obviously yeah. Linskar is is in theory should be a good
1: bit easier than Monster. I think that's and that's exactly the thinking. But would you really put Galway ahead of Kilkenny currently, or substantially ahead of Kilkenny or Wexford based on what we've seen in the leagues mm. so far? I would. I think there's a certain no, amount of blind hope with Galway.
3: I d- I wouldn't at at the moment. I think that uh, it's it's early in the Shefflin era, and I suspect that it's going to take him a year or two to actually find out what that style is and what that pattern of play that he's trying to get the team into. Like you couldn't you say like. you couldn't say you've you've seen a discernible. Mm. imprint just yet on the team that is like this is exactly how they're going to play in the final 15 minutes of a game we know exactly what they're going to do whereas we do know exactly what Waterford are going to try and do we know what Limerick will do because we've seen it from them and we know what Cork are trying to do now as well it feels like this is the the two eras that we've seen from Kingston this is the best that the team have been and the, the fact that they've taken the league seriously this year I think is actually a good thing for them because it meant that there was pressure on them early and that pressure I think They've responded to it and they've grown through it and that's why I'd be pretty happy if I was a Cork Curling fan at the moment about how things are going. Just a, a quick words about um, the general state of, of Leinster football. There's been big investments in the East Leinster project in uh, various underage um, initiatives. It hasn't quite just borne fruit at the moment.
1: oh look... I- I mean, to put this simply, it's the first time ever in the history of the National Football League that there won't be a Leinster team in Division One of the league, which tells its own story, really. Um, like, at the moment, if the for the Talton Cup, as things stand, you're looking at Louth, Meath, Dublin and Kildare are the only teams in the province who aren't in the Talton Cup. The Talton Cup is going to be dominated by teams from Leinster unless one of them gets to
3: the uh, Leinster final so they would all get knocked out early though right <laughs> like, Pro- when you say dominated Pro- probably the, yeah. in like the sheer number of teams will be high but uh, whether or not they're like playing in the final we'll, we'll wait and see we'll wait and see where, we'll, particularly we'll wait and see where
1: down or at um, given that Down had a miserable league campaign and whether they can turn it around, given that they were the you know, team relegated alongside Offaly out of Division Two, in theory they should be one of the top seeds when it comes around to the Salton Cup. But maybe Cavan and Tipperary be licking their lips, lads, after going up. And like you saw, Wicklow and Leash go from the third flight down to the fourth. And particularly for Leash, that's very disappointing when they contested the Leinster final not all that long ago, and then they've gone successive demotions from Division Two down to Division Four. So Loud they've gone in the opposite direction. Glou, like, they're the outlier when it comes to Leinster. And all credit has to be given, I think, to Mickey Hart. He's got Sam Mulroy Who's one of the best players In the country Who's been there Kicking the scores for them but, you say one of the best players In the country yeah uh, I think so I think he mm. has to be right up there Johnny Just the, the scoring that he's doing At the moment The fact that he's done it now At Division 3 It was one thing at Division 4 When he was knocking over Scores for fun last year But he's followed that up And shown it at a higher level And like, I have to give credit to Hart Like that was not A fashionable job to uh, Totally to Totally just, just Wait, briefly, I... though, like so, just
4: me like Leinster is in a great place in another way, where there's probably far more interest in the Leinster championship this year and Leinster football in general. I know Kildare got relegated, Dublin. Forget about Dublin getting relegated because that's just kind of a it's a ruse. And then you 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 actually have a reasonably compelling Leinster championship for the first time in a long time
1: it would be an almighty championship if Dublin weren't in it and I've felt that for the last few years it's not that the quality of football will be incredibly amazing because these teams are not playing at the very top of the tree but it's very competitive and the local rivalries are still there and like look because the green proposal has gone through we may as well embrace that the provinces are going to be here for at least three more years to come no not
3: embracing it you're right they will be here but I'm not embracing it the provincial provincial competitions are shite
1: they are, but if Kildare beat Meath, will you not enjoy it? If uh, of course, uh, any
3: time we beat Meath, in Tiddlywinks, you'd love it. But you're, like, ultimately to what end? It would have been much better if we were beating Meath in a league-based system where next year we were going to play them away and it would be like a raucous Navin and a raucous Newbridge, as opposed to, I mean, look, it looks like the Leinster semi-finals might not be in Croke Park, which is a progressive move from um, the Leinster Council, so... Anyway, look, we're out of time. We get sucked into a plan B. We get sucked into Saipan. I blame everybody else. I'm taking no responsibility for any of that today. Will, good stuff. The uh, Hurling Pod is live every Monday. Thanks very much for that. You can get it with uh, Will and uh, the two lads. It's been great stuff. And uh, obviously it's going to be great as the season kicks into overdrive from this point forward. The football pod is also out um, at the end of the league and looking forward to the league final. A reminder, OTB AM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved Razors. Here's what we've got for you on OTB Sports Radio today. Paul McGrath is OTB Gold at 1 o'clock. Dadcast from 3. Mount Rushmore is Limerick at 4. OTB Gold is inside Park, Harrington's Gaff. And then the show is live tonight, of course, with um, the game uh, from 10 o'clock tonight over on Twitter. League of Ireland late night is going international looking back on Ireland's performances. Oh, Yeah. Sounds filthy. League of Ireland, late night. Nathan, Johnny, and Shane Keegan will be live on Twitter Spaces. You should get a, a breathy voiceover doing that. Yeah, just briefly. Where did the word gaff come from? Is it a uh, English slang or Irish? You know, it's a real Dublin thing. Uh, yeah, it's not it. Is why? it
4: English gaff?
3: Well, no, I don't think so. Where did the word gaff come from? My gaff, your gaff. Yeah, wh- did you wh- not hear it before? Is that it was. It was. He no, came to it, Dublin a, a thick culture and yeah, people were using words like a, "gaff," and it was like, "What are they saying?" Yeah, just to have different
4: words for houses and everything. well I'd like to say, unlike, let's say, my my colleague Dan Macdonald I think I've held on to my my local accent. I'm still people quintessentially say, "Oh, he's from Galway," whereas we had Dan, like we had Darren Clark on there last Friday. Darren Clark's from RD. That's Dan Dan pointed out to me that he was like a great mate of mine when we were younger. It's like You wouldn't know You're from the same town Put it that way Where did it go wrong for Dan Shot fired I still have my Galway accent But I don't know where Gaff came from I I love You don't don't have a Galway
3: accent You have a Mid-Atlantic Like You have the Atlantic Wild Atlantic Way Galway accent Love the Wild Atlantic Way Americanised I take that I wouldn't say that Oh totally but in you, fairness, you could have stepped off the set of like one of those no. LA Valley shows I hear
4: the Hurling the, the Podcast to hear the two boys having their accents particularly James Gale if ever there were a Galway
3: accent because the kids of tomorrow Ger will all sound American Oh, they do yeah check out Off The Ball on Twitter tonight from 10 o'clock uh, we're going to bring an instant reaction from Ireland Lithuania tomorrow Owen Sheehan is in Belfast for us I heard he's a very interesting project going on there He's going to be outside uh, Windsor Park tonight. We'll hear from former Ireland captain Keith Wood as well. Uh, Didn't get into Burgheim at the weekend, though, our own. I felt a kindred spirit with him like I've never felt before. So you're done. He'll be back. Thanks very much for your time with us, Danny. All the best.
2: OTB AM.
3: With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs razor. With exfoliating bar.